Call of Duty 1984. And PS plus more of your money. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, is the fierce, the mean, the uh, gnome, Taylor Swift. Mm. Taylor Swift, everyone. Uh, Oh, I mean, sorry, Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Oh, just wonderful. How are you, Brett? I'm doing wonderful. Sorry, I got a little caught up. I was uh, reminiscing on our time within, you know, the world of Baldur's Gate 3. So, uh, mm. But we'll get to that in Faerun. a little bit. If you're new to the podcast, Faerun, yes. Uh, <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, uh, welcome, first and foremost. We are glad that you're here. Hopefully, you'll stick around as we get to talking about a bunch of gaming. We're going to be talking about PS Plus's price hike, which is one of the big things that's happening. Uh, Respawn finally putting out a complete version of a game that should have been so at launch, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. But... <laughs> uh, what the PS Plus games are and more, but what we always do at the beginning of these episodes is start off with a time-modern tradition of seeing what each other have been playing so that we can either fill each other in on games that we might have been missing or maybe fill you in on a game that you might have been missing that you might like. So, Chris, I will defer to you as always. What have you been playing this week that I have not been playing with you? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, which is a lot of fun. Have you, You've seen that, right? I haven't even seen it. I know that you said it was one of your big, you were excited for it games. And then I looked at it and it looked like um, one of the printies from the <laughs> Disgaea series. Because the art, at least, if, unless I'm hugely mistaken, <laughs> I don't know the, what the art on PlayStation about, looked like a penguin. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, that's facts. So that made me think, oh, Prinny. But I remember now that I've thought about the name that this is the spiritual successor to Jet Set Radio. That is correct, yes. Yes, I do remember this name now. Yeah. So yeah. I have seen this. Go ahead. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very good. It's It does remind me a lot of Jet Set. It has the same, same art style, which is really mm-hmm. cool. So far, music, not as good. Still good. Well, we have a question about that. Okay, go. So might as well throw it in here. Why not? Uh, first question of the episode then comes from one of our patrons, longtime listeners, Mr. B. Raj 88. And he says, what's your favorite video game soundtrack of all time? Mm. Oh, Chris is trying not to say Persona 5. It's like, he's like, just, mm. no, ironically, I'm trying not to say another game. Because I'm fairly positive my favorite is Near Automata. It's so good. <laughs> it is so good. It's funny because Near Automata. So here's here's the hierarchy, and it's really hard for me because it rotates a lot. And there's been new and old editions. So Near and Near Automata are basically. Uh, line for line and a lot of that is because the way that they chose to go about composing music for that game is that there's so many musical references to the first mm-hmm. near game on purpose because of the parallels between different characters um so both of those games are incredible soundtracks i basically view them as one soundtrack i think square at this point does too considering they released both of them as a you know a vinyl set <laughs> yeah uh, okay so if we're gonna go what is your uh, what is your runner-up because I, I want to talk about my runner-up, too. Because I do think it is near Tomina and near. Like I said, they're, they're the same. Persona 5. 
Oh, okay. I had a feeling. Yeah. But I was curious to see if Jet Set Future would get in there. <laughs> it's there. It's close because I have a lot of runners up. What are yours? I have a lot of them too. And a lot of them are oddly enough Sonic games. I have uh, Sonic Adventure 2 has one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Uh, the weird 90s hip hop that they got for all the Knuckles things are so good. All the Crush 44 songs that were done for it, incredible. Uh, but more recently, I have been rotating through the Sonic Frontier soundtrack like fierce. It's so Sonic good. And when Frontiers. I say the soundtrack, I mean the entire thing. I listen to all 120 whatever songs they are. Jesus. I just put it on while I'm working, and it's so good. <laughs> so um, here's the difference for how they choose to release a soundtrack, right? This yeah. soundtrack, and it's on official things that you know you can – I listen to it on Google Play. Uh, sure. Or I call it Google Play, but it's YouTube Music. Uh, anyway, so – I listen to it on there, and the difference between how it's set up is that it's literally any musical anything from the game, just in order of where they take place in the game. <laughs> okay. So, like, the first song is the opening track that you see in the opening cutscene, and then the rest of it's, like, cutscene, hidden technology. Next song, cutscene, arriving on Starfall Islands. And these are, like, anywhere from 40 seconds to, like, five minutes, depending on what part of the game it's in. So it's Holy real different. Shit. That's so yeah, many. It's like it's yeah. a lot of tracks, but then okay. It's 150 quick. tracks. Yeah. Quick. Why does Spotify have discs? This is oh, like disc know. one. And then it's 23 songs. And it's disc two. Well, you you this can buy digital. this physically, but that is a little odd. I didn't but know. I'm I didn't know that at was the a Spotify thing. screen. Now you've Either got way. me wondering, does it have does it have smashing pumpkins uh now, I'm just incredibly curious. Does it have Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness broken up by which disc, which songs are on? Maybe. Because YouTube Music does not, which is fine. I mean, they are in order. I was looking I at, don't use Spotify, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was looking at a different, like, just a regular music album, and it had discs. Like, it says that. I don't know why it does, but whatever. It's a I mean, that's kind of cool, though, if you just want to be able to be like, yeah, disc four, track seven. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> why the hell not? Um, <clears throat> I I have a bunch that I really like, though. Like, Doom. Oh, Doom's it's incredible. It All-time so great. All-time great soundtrack. Dude, and Doom um, Eternal? You can, again, you have to view those almost as one, because Doom Eternal has some of the sickest songs, but I think that the Doom soundtrack as a whole is a little bit better. No song on either soundtrack is as good as BFG. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think it just kind of... That's my whole thing. Like, I'm always going to pick BFG over any of those, those other ones. But um, give me anything from Mick Gordon and I'm happy. Dude's ex- incredible. Exactly. He's so good. Uh, f- Fallout 3, fantastic. Um, yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, uh, just a shout out, one more that's a little... Uh, to be fair, I think Sonic's pretty unorthodox <laughs> and so is Nier. Like, these are soundtrack-ass soundtracks, though, to be fair, almost all Sonic games have soundtrack songs where they sound more like score and OST and Mm. then songs that are legit songs because the Sonic Frontier is like, there's like seven songs that are just full-on. They sound like they don't even exist within the Sonic. Like, you could listen to them and not know they were from Sonic or from a game at all. Rolling Um, around at the speed of sound. sound. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great song. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Sonic's kind of always skirted around that, but a more traditional soundtrack that's more akin to Nier that's great is, um, dude, Oblivion. 
Mm-hmm. The soundtrack and, Obli- and the soundtrack in Skyrim is also good, <clears throat> but Oblivion's adventuring and like exploration is so punctuated by the beautiful swell of music, and I think it really works well with the Cyrodiil landscape because it's more like big stretching fields and mountains as opposed to Skyrim, where Skyrim tried to have like, and I got, I get it right because. Oblivion's a big game, and it's almost all one type of environment, which is a little mm-hmm. unfortunate. But Skyrim went this other way that's also great, and I still love it, but it's a little less realistic feeling in a weird way where it feels like there's like a micro bubble of a bunch of different uh, climate options. So it's like, well, we're going to have uh, Winterhold, and we're going to have Ice, and then you're going to have... Uh, what is the where the thieves guild at? I can't even think of it right now. It starts with an R. I feel like, but Riverrun. Um, no, White Run's the main city in the center. Um, it's killing me. I can't think of it, but it doesn't matter. Riven, uh, Riven. Uh, Riven. I, I was thinking that too, but I don't know. I still feel off about that. If it is, yeah. it is. It but it's like fall, good. and you can see the, the the leaves like falling and twisting. It's really pretty, but it's like I don't know. Something about this feels weird. I don't yeah. feel like. If there was like two or three in a world, but there's I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's really good, but it does make it feel even more video gamey to me for mm-hmm. some reason. I, and a um, lot of games have that. You you're trying to fight your your, your thing, but specifically exploration and oblivion is great because dude, it's just like rolling over a hill and it being dynamic and it welling up with this big orchestral piece is so pretty. It's beautiful. I love dude, it. Dude, I mean, speaking of that exact experience. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think this is a spoiler. Death Stranding going over the snowy mountain and Death Stranding when the music plays, oh, dude. Is, and that the soundtrack, like in general, like just that CD, like with churches and what is it? Is it Bring Me the Horizon? It is Bring Me the Horizon. Yeah, Bring right? Me the Horizon's on yeah. there. Yeah, bangers. Those two songs, especially Fire, all day. Yeah, um, and more traditional, recency biased a little bit, but I've been bumping. Baldur's Gate three. Oh, dude, that main menu, that that main theme, yeah, the menu theme. Oh man, dude, that little down by the rivers. I love that part. It's so good. Best part. It's so funny because and what we've been playing, uh, Baldur's Gate three. So (laughs) (laughs) there was that moment when you guys were when you guys were creating your characters, and like when we were doing that, I was done. What solid thirty minutes before you guys? I think. Oh, one hundred percent. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like Brett and Sean, who we've we've been playing with, creating their characters. Brett was coming up with a backstory. I named my character Taylor Swift because she was a bard who plays guitar, and that was the whole. That's all I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, "Okay, I." randomized my guardian but the only reason that wasn't that bad was because a i was playing marvel snap and b the soundtrack just kept looping in my headphones for 30 minutes and you're right it was that down by the river and then it just hits again like this is (laughs) great stuff um dude it's yeah i I told you. So one of the questions we get asked sometimes and like i have a general thing where i talk about that i usually don't love um character creation in games because i think (laughs) a i tend to spend too much time in it 
um, yeah. as you saw. Um, <laughs> and that's because in my mind, I'm like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go ham and I will have a reason for everything. So like as I was talking about, I originally had a different name plan for my guy and everything. And I was making all of these changes to him based off of what I wanted him to be. Once I landed on him being a paladin tiefling, mm-hmm. I was like, I've got it. I know how <laughs> I want to approach this. And I kept going and I was really surprised at the level of detail because I came up in my head with this version of what I wanted. And I actually didn't think the game would provide enough detail for me to do it. And I don't know if you've caught on yet, but if you notice that my paladin has one blue glowing eye and one red glowing eye Mm -hmm. and the red glowing eyes on the side where he's got like a black smoke tattoo coming down. Yeah. Okay. So my character is unaware of this, but he's actually two different. You know, he's, he's part (coughs) holy part, devil even though tieflings uh-huh. are you know so he's he's the prodigy you know the progeny whatever you want to call it of a holy being and a uh, an evil being and that his markings and everything on the side are supposed to be his evil thing and, and i was trying to have that You're- play into the story when i went the vengeance route and uh, as we found out i can't keep my oath uh, but it's okay because now that- i feel like it, it's, it's, it's even though that's what I wanted it to be, and that is still the backstory that I'm sticking with in my head. Visually, I'm on brand for my Oathbreaker that I yeah, just yeah, joined yeah. last night, so that I look really so sick. Um, yeah. So your character in your head is just a Nephilim, then? <laughs> yes, there's a little more to it, but that's okay. also why he's a paladin and why he's drawn to religion. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because right. there's this innate feeling. So he was abandoned as a child. He doesn't know who his parents are. I respect the gumption that you've yeah. shown for Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I take it very seriously, but all, not so seriously that I won't have fun. I mean, I've been doing stupid shit a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've been rolling incredible highs uh, of nat 20s or incredible nat 1s. I mean, it's it, my character is either a critical success or a critical failure, and there's nothing in between. So, okay. I have to tell the story. Of probably the single funniest time Brett rolled. So, as I said, I'm playing a bard, so I provide a bunch of stuff. Uh, 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 So you had you had a plus seven, and you needed to roll a seven. Inspiration and your other bonuses, whatever. So I just look at you. I just say in the party chat, I'm like Brett. The only thing you cannot roll is a one. Like this is easy. We're getting through this. You immediately rolled a one. We failed the crit the check. And I think it I think we got into a fight after that, did we not? Or was that just something else? I don't really remember. I felt like that was the brain removing the oh, I don't want yes, to say yes, too yes. much, but I'm pretty sure that was the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we blew that too, right? The guy died in that first one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. I was like, you have oh. fun. You take the good, you take the bad. Yeah, I've had a couple times where I had to be like, guys, we need to play together. Like the whole point of my character is to help you in combat. Um, I got better at that. You did. I just think it was a little. <laughs> I guess are we talking about ball? We're talking about balls again too. Well, was, yeah, the question's done. Thanks, B. Rods. We appreciate it. Uh, the answer is is clearly that we have favorites, but the other answer is that we are spoiled for choice right now. So I mean, yeah. uh, we, we've been spoiled for choice our, our whole damn lives. <clears throat> just throwing that out there. There's a lot of really good video game soundtracks. Continue that. Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, we've been playing the shit out of it. We have been playing the shit out of it. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You, It's funny how much backstory you put into yours because, like, I've, I have, like, my character has a backstory, but, like, 
honestly, I thought it was funny to be a gnome. And I just made, I always play as females and, and we're yep. women, whatever. <laughs> and I just make them hot. I'm just like, what? I, is, is this character hot? Yes. Okay, yeah, you I'll are play a saucy this little gnome. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a step stool and everything for the house. Um, mm. But that's really it. Like, oh, I, I don't have like my parents or anything. I just know that she played in bars and Kanye West bought all of her debut album to put her on the charts. Exactly. Yeah. And she got interrupted at the at the mm-hmm. Bard Awards and told think, that Beyonce be, had the best video of all time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think what would be interesting uh, is if my character was a reincarnation of another character who is the leader of the satanic church, who I just happen to look a lot of like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I got you. Well, that it's funny you cool. say like I put all this thing is it's why I don't play. <laughs> My friends kind of, they didn't hate a strong word because that's really not what it was, but I could tell that the few times I've played D&D with friends groups, I always spend so long on character creation because I'm like, I got to know everything about my guy because I have to know how my guy <clears throat> interacts and why he makes what decisions he makes because I already have a view on who my guy is and what has shaped him. And yeah, even when it's something good. ridiculous like horsedick.mpeg, my, uh, my very first ever D&D character, really? uh, who was a centaur, um yeah great movie also <laughs> but uh yeah the, the centaur who uh they they refused to let me make the uh the human centaur pede, which i have think yeah. i've told the story but they refused so, to let yeah. me do that so i landed on horse dick.mpeg who was a centaur who had a, a penis that was pierced and he could put like metal things on the end of his penis and then like the piercing was where he'd like shove a rod through to hold the thing in place and then he could projectile shoot out his dick in order to like break through walls swing on trees and shit it was awesome um but i had a whole thing um and the whole idea came from one of my other friends who we were playing with i wasn't part of a previous thing but in a previous setup he had said that uh, he had charmed a horse and ended up having sex with a horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his character, as he started riding it, he had this vague, like, I'm not from this dimension. And so my head cannon became, he's actually from another dimension. He's been dimension hopping around and he is my father. Oh. And I am the, I am the offspring of the, the one off encounter he had with this horse in a different dimension. Wow. So, Yeah. And I've been know. looking for my father since the day my mother died. <laughs> I like that. I, me as someone who would like to DM, I would prefer my my people hand me like a 20-page document that's like, this is everything about my character. Have fun. Because <laughs> cool, yeah. think about that from a storytelling mm. perspective, right? And like a player... A, a player interactive part. If I'm like halfway through our D&D campaign, we come over a hill and we see a horse laying on the ground with its throat slit and it's crying and begging for help. And it turns out to be your parent, your mother oh, yeah. Yeah, is yeah. dying, you know, and then it turns you into, you know, you break your oath because we've gone on this quest to kill the person who happened to kill this horse, which yeah. you end up finding out as he's dying and you break your oath as a paladin that the horse had broken its leg and there was clearly nothing else you could do for a horse with a broken leg. So he killed it. You know? Yeah. 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 Put yourself in hard character situations. World building. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but see, the weird thing about D&D is that that day we kind of, it was like a hit where we were like, well, it's really fun to create your character with everyone else around, but it kind of means that that whole day becomes everybody creating their characters to some degree yeah. while you're talking through because it takes a big chunk out of your playtime. So it's like, so they were like, well, could, maybe we could build characters in the future and just bring them on the day of. And I was like, yeah, but then you don't get to interact and you don't get to change your character based off of something that someone else said that makes you go, oh, this would be kind of interesting. And See? I mean, both are valid for different way, for different reasons, but I really like being in a room with somebody. Like I was listening intently, whether y'all knew it or not, to what y'all were creating because I was trying to be like, hmm, am I going to alter what I was like as I'm thinking my process? Or am I going to alter anything based off of what I'm hearing? See that for me in Baldur's Gate, whatever, but in D and D that if I was the GM, I'd be like, you do it at home. You don't do it at all. Because then I could be like, I know the stuff and I can tell the story, but the other characters don't know reveals like the way you were talking about it kind of ruins that. Yeah. You're, I mean, like I said, there's good sides to both. It just depends on how you want to do it. When we do triangle squared presents dungeons and dragons and I DM that story, you have to come to me with a character. Sure. I will okay. come to you with a character so long. And I'll even do that so long as you edit it, post it, I'll <laughs> all edit that it, good but, stuff. But we're not putting it on video. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I mean, whatever. Okay, let's do it. I, I can get people right. to do it. All right, we'll do it. Once a month. Uh, once a month. Okay. Period. <laughs> yeah, period. All that right. was a bad Cardi joke. B. <laughs> Oh, I get Period. it. I thought you were doing the Cardi B thing. <laughs> that was a bad joke because that I I don't even, actually I don't even know if that was a bad or a good joke because I clicked with the joke but with the wrong punchline. <laughs> I think it's an even better joke at that point. <laughs> yeah. Either way, All Father's right. Gate is really fun, and I'm glad you're enjoying it because I was telling Sean today I'm like I kind of feel like I. Forced Brett at gunpoint to play this game. Oh, you one hundred percent. Don't wrong. <laughs> I was I was not against playing it at all, but this is what happened. You were like a guy who broke into my house, and <laughs> I was like already going to give you the money, but then uh-huh. you were like, <coughs> as I was saying, like, yeah, okay, here, right, cool, I'll give you my money. Just follow me. You were like pointing the gun at me, and be like, don't make me. I'll fucking do it, man. I'll fucking do it. Yeah, that, that's basically the, the situation we had. You were like, Baldur's Gate 3? I was like, yeah, it looks cool. And you're like, you're going to play it with me. You're going to do it now. You're going to do it once a week. We're going to schedule it. And Sean's going to make sure. And then we're going to have to play through. And then, <laughs> and here we are. I mean, it happened. It worked. Yeah. And listen, I, I what I appreciate is that we've been like, yeah, we'll just play every fucking night. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that. And here we are. Yeah. I didn't either, but I was like, glad, honestly, like, if we get done with enough time today, I mean, yeah, we're hopping yeah, we're, on we're, right. we're definitely playing. Absolutely. Because we got to get ready for the <laughs> one with Ben, which is now our four player thing. But hopefully I was telling Sean today and te- maybe tease for the listeners. This will be me pointing more guns at Brett. I think what would be really cool is if we do all four, do the campaign, finish it up. We put out like a big ass spoiler kind of podcast about it, talking about our specific campaign. I think okay. that would be really fun. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I will please don't point any more that. guns at me. <laughs> That's all I'll, I'll try say. Not to. Please don't point guns at me. I'll try. I may have to point <laughs> guns back. <laughs> all right. Let's see. What else uh, so Marvel doing? Snap. I think we've covered everything besides the fact that I played a whole lot more of Immortals of Avium, and I continue <laughs> to say there is absolutely nothing 
wrong with that game. But I counterbalance that with the fact that there's also nothing just amazing about the game. Like, you know, the yeah. entire time I'm playing, I'm like, I'm having a great time. This is really fun. But I'm not like, holy shit. And don't me wrong. That's not too far from what I anticipated. What I was wrong on anticipating is that people wouldn't be more into that uh, sense of it doesn't have to be the greatest thing ever. It just has to be fun and good. So, so I was a little surprised at the review scores, definitely, because as I said, as you read them, I'm like, I don't, I don't see the score reflected in the wording, in my opinion, yeah. outside <clears throat> of it's not big enough and for modern gaming, which I just, eh. Eh, but well, that's the thing. It's not because the goalposts have been moved in mo- in modern gaming. It's yeah, but problem. I mean, at the same time, it's just one <laughs> of those things where, I mean, I'm pretty sure if a game like The Last of Us came out right now, it would still just be huge because it's like, yeah. But, but I think that's, that's, it's a slightly unfair <clears throat> comparison, to be fair. But uh, it's kind of like <laughs> what, what we were talking about the other week, which I I would imagine has to sound a little trite, being like, oh, if this was on the PS2, it'd be fucking sick. But something like the Order 1886 context matters, yeah. PS2 game, PS3 era game, that's $40 and it's a 10 out of 10. But $70 or $60 in honestly, 2013. Honestly, the order as a 2011 $60 PS3 exclusive slays. Yeah, probably. I still think it's a little short. I'm be honest, man. I don't, I don't think that definitely in that context, I don't think people are going to care. Yeah. Either way, but, um, speaking of exclusives, you want to talk about the one other game I played this week? Yeah, you played some Starfield. I haven't played, played it at all, and I keep being asked by people if I'm going to play. So I'll go ahead and answer that question out here. I do intend to play Starfield. I just have zero clue when. I don't know how to fit it in. Yeah. Uh, that's what she said. Um, but yeah, I don't. Like, I'm looking at games coming, and I'm looking at what I'm playing. That's also, man, this Heard. has gotten oddly sexual. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know where to where to slot that in. That didn't help either. You got um, phrasing, as Archer would say. <laughs> yeah. Yes, phrasing. Um, so, yes, I will play it when I somehow find time to play it. I don't know when that's going to be one of the weirdest things about that game. And I don't think this is a bad thing necessarily, but seeing people being like, yeah, I played it for 20 hours and beat it. And I'm in new game plus. And in my mind, I'm like the game that's about thousands of planets and big exploration can be beaten maybe quicker than any Bethesda game. Good, but what do you mean by beaten? You can beat Skyrim uh, yeah, in like I, I know. four hours. I, I know. So <laughs> I, it's just, the, the, it's, it's only shocking because that that I've played for 20 hours comes with no other context for me. So I'm like, that feels oddly short for this thousands of planets. Yeah. It's not. Well, I don't even remember how many planets. It's a lot of planets. I, I, it's like hundreds at least. Having played it, I feel like, and I'm sure you know this inherently, but that's just not the type of game it is. You know, if this was a Last of Us in Space kind of thing, yeah, sure, that might be fast, I guess, but actually, that would probably be long. But I was about to say, <laughs> I've seen you know, 20, you know 24, 28. I mean, yeah, that, I, I will be on record right now saying that The Last of Us Part Two is probably six hours longer than it needs to be at yeah. minimum. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing, right? Is like, I can beat I love the Fallout. Game, I, mean. <laughs> I can beat Fallout 3 in probably an hour and a half, right? You can beat New Vegas even quicker. Yeah. 
Very quick. Now, yeah. But what I really mean by that is first time playing, that sure. seems oddly short. Because my first time playing Oblivion, I played over 100 hours and never even beat it. Well, yeah, but again, it's... it's <laughs> and, then I'm, and then the first time playing Skyrim, I played 120 hours before I beat it. So, but I, again, I know the point of those games. It's just when you're... When the only context I have is from old games that are significantly smaller, something about 20 hours feels like when people were surprised that like Cyberpunk, for example, you can beat the mm-hmm. Cyberpunk main story in like 16 hours. Yeah. I think the the thing is, I think in terms of that, people were rushing main quests only because a lot of the people playing the game early were like play the main quest first it opens up after the main quest so you spend your first 20 hours beating the main quest because that's what pete hines told you to do and fucking greg miller is telling you to do that right so you you beat it and then you do all this stuff i've played probably 12 hours and i'm i don't even know if i'm past the first act you know, so it's just how you interact with Bethesda games. I see quests, I do quests. That, that's, yeah, you know. What I thought was weird, again, contextless as much as I can really be. I I hear, I, I did hear Greg say that, or I saw that he said that. People were talking about it on uh, the social media platform formerly known as X. Uh, I didn't see that Pete Hines said it, but I've seen the conversation going around, that's and so that close. seems weird to me too, because you can literally, as soon as you're out of... Uh, the Helgen, you're done. Right. Like in terms of Skyrim, the the entire game's there. You can go to the you can go to the Thieves Guild, you can go to the every guild in the game. You can do the Dark Brotherhood as long as you just go to the city and start hearing the rumors. Like that game is not tied to progression in any real sense. Nor is Oblivion, nor is Morrowind, nor do I feel like Fallout New Vegas or three are. So when I heard that I was like, did Bethesda switch up their thing to where they progress lock your ability to see certain things? And I tried to think back to Fallout 4, and I just, um, I don't want to start a big conversation after we've already talked a bit about Fallout 4, but, you know, Fallout 4 is a game that could not draw me to do any of its side content. I thought it was all very boring. Um, On the surface level of what was immediately offered, it could have gotten better with each one, but the first couple of missions of each of the... uh, uh, whatever you want to call them, factions, uh, was not well, enough to keep me in. So how, I was curious so on this one. How do you... In, and it doesn't have to be about Fallout 4. It can be about Bethesda in general. Because I think mm-hmm. the thing to take away with Starfield is it's a Bethesda game. Sure. But, but I figured, uh, is it that you're locked into certain solar systems until no. you do certain things? So I why did, how did, noticed that. So why does the game open up after... You play through the main campaign. I guess that's, I have that's to imagine. Me. Here's the thing: you have a spaceship, right? And my spaceship is mm-hmm. very basic. Mm-hmm. And I think, in a lot of ways, like other Bethesda games, Bethesda games do gate you. They just don't gate you in the same way as other games, right? You can sneak around the death claws that are there in certain places to lock you out of content. You know, you're not supposed to go to certain spots because the enemies are leveled up to a point mm-hmm. where they're blocking you out. But because of the nature of that world, you could skip that whole thing. That's how you beat Fallout 3 quick is you just go straight to Rivet City and then you go straight to the monument and it's, it's all there. So it, this is Bethesda to the core. So I think if it depends on how you engage with it, right? So especially in Starfield, 
certain areas are going to be very difficult to play through. I have one mission right now. I'm level 11. And every time I take my ship in there, I die because I'm not ready to do it yet. So I think one of the things that may open the game up for you is the game is opened up because your ship is upgraded. You have better guns because you've beaten the game. Yeah. You have better perks. You have all this stuff. So that's what I'm taking from it because I'm doing it the same way I've done everything. You know, me and Blake have been going back and forth on Discord about it a lot. And he was like, go do this quest. And I was like, okay. And I just went and found it. You know, it's a, it's a side <laughs> yeah, quest. That, he was like, okay, this is dope. I, I think it's kind of one of those things where you beat it, you go into New Game Plus with all your upgrades and better stuff, and the, and that's when you explore the world because everything's going to be easier for you. So yeah, that, New that's Game Plus is already a, a, a good difference for a Bethesda game. I can't think of a previous Bethesda game that had a New Game Plus. So that's no, I can't either. pretty interesting. Um, so I guess real quick, since we're already on the topic of Starfield and being here, um, one of the big things that, one of the big points of conversation is that it's not doing space exploration right. And then uh, the other flip side of that is, why did you expect that from this game? Um, and as we've clearly said, like the first time they showed gameplay, I said it looked eerily close to No Man's Sky. And even now, sometimes I'm like, that looks eerily close to No Man's Sky. <laughs> um, but it's clearly they are part. two different games. Um, so with what you've been playing and with the context of actually playing the game, while also kind of understanding the, the flip side argument to some degree, because I think you're smart enough to go, well, yeah, people who wanted these things are not wrong for saying that they kind of thought that this is what they were going to be getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now you're also playing it and you know the context and how they chose to go about traversing planets and breaking, you know, atmosphere and all that stuff or where they chose to allow or not allow and how they interacted with it. So do you think that's being blown up? Do you think it's there's some reasonable concern within there? Would you have preferred it to be more like a No Man's Sky? You can break atmosphere, land, and go about your business? Or do you not think it really matters? I don't think it matters. <clears throat> and I don't think I would have wanted... I. I didn't. It's not like I liked No Man's Sky all that much. <laughs> yeah, know? I know. Yeah, that's so, why I was curious how you felt about it. Well, and I, all I'm saying is that it's not. You know, it's you, playing No Man's Sky is a, it's a different experience. First of all, I haven't played it since vanilla. Like vanilla No Man's Sky is the last oh, yeah, time I played that considerably game. Considerably different now. Yeah. But in terms of that, like, okay, yeah, launching into space was really cool, and the first. 20 times i was like this is the coolest shit of all time but then you drop down on a planet you do all this stuff and you're like god damn it and i gotta go fly around and it's fifty thousand meters to the next planet and you know and starfield doesn't have that problem you get straight into the action and the way i see the space travel is you know how in movies they'll have the actors in a car right and the car will be on a set that's made to look like a road. And then there's a painting of a road behind them. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's how space feels in Starfield. But the action is still happening in front of me. You know, it's kind of like I have to choose the next scene of Pluto, if that makes sense. Right. Like I have to be like, I'm going to go watch this scene and then I'm going, this is the backdrop for whatever action happens here. Whether that's fighting space uh, spaceships or finding resources or 
you know, a, another space, another spaceship hailing you and having a conversation with them or boarding a pirate ship or being a pirate and boarding another ship. Those things all happen against the backdrop of space. Right. Okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. But I think yeah, for sure the problem is that <laughs> Todd Howard said freedom to explore space. You can go to any planet. So while the game I got, I'm satisfied with, and I'm really glad it's not what I took from his words. Sure. Because what I took from his words sounded tedious. And what his, what as actually in that game is your quest is on Pluto we're going to show you this really cool loading screen when you're going to get to Pluto. That's really what it is. <laughs> it's yeah, a really cool it, loading screen. <laughs> the that way you that can I fight ended in. up. Yeah. The way I ended up just like it, it, when someone else described to me kind of how it works. Yeah. Um, so I've still not visually seen it, but I had a friend who's been playing it, who talked to me a little bit about it. And my immediate thought was, uh, and Chris, I know you don't really have the context for this, maybe a little bit cause you did try to play kingdom hearts. Um, but it feels like basically the gummy ship worlds where it's like, well, here's a planet. So we're going to tell you that you're going to that planet and you're going to go to the, the ship. You're going to go to your ship and you're going to fight stuff on the way to the planet. And then you're going to load into the planet when you get there. And That's, it's going to all, it's all going to be segmented and sectioned off. It's more akin right. to like kingdom hearts three <clears> where, <throat> you know, here's a planet and it, or here's a world, here's a world and you're going to fly between them and you just freely fly within this, semi-open area that's meant to feel like open space before you just get to where you're going and you're done. <laughs> I'm going to put it... I, you could be right, but yeah. since only extreme weeb nerds understand what you're talking about, I'll put, it, yeah. I'll put it into mainstream context, right? <laughs> and I, you'll yeah. understand. <laughs> yes, sure, please. Normify S- it for us. St- yeah, for the normies out there. Starfield Space Exploration is calling a cab in GTA, getting in the cab, letting it go for a little bit, and like kind of looking around and maybe something happens, and then skipping the rest of the ride. That's that's how the best way I would describe it. You go out there, there's a little bit of stuff you can do, but it's not really all that important. Caveat of yet. And then you can just go to another planet. And I'm fairly sure... You could, I'm fairly sure at this point in the game, I could have never actually engaged with space flight. Okay. So, okay. So, all you did was just west boot it. You I know, did I, some I, space I, stuff. I, I we boot it, you west boot it. I did. I did. I yeah. normally So, that's it. only for you extreme west boos who really like Western games. <laughs> Mine's for, you know, yours is for like YouTube and TikTok. Mine's for like Rumble and YouTube shorts. Um, there you go. But yeah. all, all, all right. of this, all of this to say is that Starfield's fantastic. Like it really is good. Um, but again, it's it's what you take a fantastic because I think its Metacritic score is probably right, right around an eighty-five. Yeah. I'm not done with it, but you know, I really like it. And Brett, this might be interesting for you. You're a little bit different than me, but the thing I appreciate most. From from Starfield, and this is going to sound really stupid. Is that I don't give a shit about achievements or trophies in it, and it's nice to just kind of play a game. <laughs> like, Have I told you? <laughs> I I'm not. I haven't even looked at the achievements because so I don't give a hear, fuck. I'm playing it on Chris. PC. 
hear me out, Chris. You can do that same thing on yeah. PlayStation yeah, and the, then decide the trophy and then well, decide the platinum. First of all, you waste time and lose out on platinums you could have if you just that might be the I'm case, not even but telling it's better you to, to follow, just play the game. I'm not even telling you to follow a walkthrough. I'm telling you to go Horizon Forbidden West trophy guide, missable trophies. Oh, if I don't scan the last fight, I will miss this trophy. <laughs> and then okay, and then you close the, your computer and you play the whole game, but in the back of your head you go, I need to make sure I scan that one thing or I'm gonna miss the platinum. And then you have the platinum. Regardless yeah. of the fact. But then I have, then I have unnecessary context that tells me that whatever's happening at the end is happening so quick and is so specific that I never get to do it again. And then suddenly, that taints certain parts of the expectation of what's to come from the game. You know what I mean, Brett? I'm calling you on your bullshit because you openly spoiled the ending of Twisted Metal just by being like, I, I it's kind, of, it was what it was building up for from the trailers. So you know what? The fact that you have to take a picture of a robot at the end of the game is not a fucking spoiler to you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was a spoiler. I said for me, it it hampers my it anticipation throughout the because game. Because it because that it makes spoils sense. something at the end of the game. No, because I'm not I don't know what's gonna happen, but I have a sense of the type of happening at the end. Yeah, I'm and, just I mean, with you. I get to it, your point, it's still but, the same. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. No, but the thing is, like, I would have, I would skip a lot of games that were exclusive to Xbox or even Switch because I'm like, eh, I'd rather play it on play on PlayStation because I want to earn the trophies, and it's yeah, nice feels, yeah. to just be like, I just want to play Starfield, you know, just like there I just want to play Baldur's Gate. I really want the Baldur's Gate three platinum, but I also just yeah. want to play Baldur's Gate. Like I'm having a great time with the game. The platinum has not even entered my head. I haven't even thought about a single trophy, nor do I think I've earned a single trophy that wasn't related. Actually, I it's, don't think I've earned a single trophy at all. You did earn one. You should have earned one. Because once oh, okay, you're well. getting off, the, ending the tutorial is a trophy. Oh, okay. Either well, way. I guess it happened. <laughs> you, I, get, I, I, I appreciate that. I just don't have it that. I'm, I, if I'm playing, as, and I'm very much like, I have a 27% completion rate. So it doesn't stop me from playing games. Sure. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I could, I could get the platinum in this. I could, yeah, I could get the Armored Core 6 platinum. Maybe. You could. I could. If you do, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll applaud you because, I mean, you have a bunch of From Software plats at that point. That would. That would be third, yeah. Either that would way. be too bad. Um, I do really appreciate that, that it's just let me kind of enjoy games. Um, well, a quick, and, a quick talk because, I mean, I know that there's an online version of it. But, you know, this podcast is me and you talking. And then yeah. everyone else is getting to listen in on that. So in the effort of that and not worrying about what the rest of the internet's talking about or why, and not really even worrying about that we're, if we're feeding into that or not, this is just uh, something I find curious. The, so Skyrim sits at a 96 in on yeah. Metacritic. Oblivion sits at a 94, if I'm not mistaken. And um, Morrowind sits at an 89. Fallout 4 and Starfield now are two games in a row from the same team that both sit at an 80. Seven, if I'm not mistaken. Um, why? Why do you feel like that is? Because you and, and I think I have the answer, and I think it's an interesting one because uh, talking to people about the po- the positives and negatives of Starfield, or at least seeing people have those conversations, and then chiming in just with my own opinion without the context of having played the game. But that's to make very specific games that no one mm-hmm. else in the industry makes. 
But that doesn't mean that the industry hasn't caught up to certain aspects of their games. And I think that that's starting to catch Bethesda. And I think that that's why you're seeing games like Fallout 4 and Starfield <laughs> still sell incredibly well, which is all that Bethesda is truly worried about. It's all that Microsoft's worried about now that they're the owner. Um, but it's got to hurt a little bit to come off of a series of 90s or almost 90s and continue to build this wave of success until you hit Skyrim, which is your highest reviewed game ever, and then slowly start seeing that fall back down. And I think it's primarily because Skyrim was a PS3, is their last PS3 game, right? And on PS3, nothing touched Skyrim. Nothing touched any Bethesda game in terms of scale of the open world. I mean, and to the, the style that it is, because like the other game that probably got close to touching that in some degree, in some capacity, was something like a Red Dead or a Grand Theft Auto 4. But they're such different worlds that if you like high fantasy and you like big RPGs, this is something very different. I don't consider either of Rockstar's games that I just mentioned to be RPGs. I no. view them more as sandbox games. So yes. if you want big, expansive, open-world RPGs, used to, you had to go to uh, Bethesda. And I think that some of their shortcomings were more forgiven because of the fact that nowhere else in the industry could you find that. And I think the PS4 gen skewed that so hard because suddenly... All sorts of RPGs were massive. You get games like The Witcher 3 that come in and knock everyone off. Like, holy shit, people can do this at this level. And it's not just Agreed. Bethesda and the RPG game. And so I think it's unfortunate that Starfield is supposed to be their big watershed moment, this big new IP. And yet, in a way, it's one of their poorer performing games. Not that it's performed badly in, by any capacity uh, in a review thing. So do you think that you kind of agree with that? Or do you think there's something else in the water that's kind of leaning it towards that. Do you, I guess what I'm saying, do you think that there's any bit of it that's actually fueled in the in the macro of how Metacritic works? Do you think any of its downtrodden points has anything to actually do with being owned by Microsoft now? I don't know how to answer that. Um, I mean, I, I guess the answer is no. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. I don't think it is either um, because this is scoring right alongside Fallout 4. And that was well before purchasing was in anyone's mind. I think the only thing I really disagree with you about is that I don't think anyone makes Bethesda-style open-world RPGs. Oh, you still don't. But other developers at least make big, thoughtful RPGs that have a lot of deep systems. And the Delta is not as big as it once was. <sighs> I don't know. I I mean, sure. Like, I guess in a fundamental way, you're right. But I don't think there's a single game in the industry outside of Skyrim that comes close to Starfield in terms of what it's doing. In terms of sure. big world, instead of RP, in terms of RPG, sure, there's other RPGs, there's other big worlds. But the specific stuff that people are willing to forgive and we're willing to forgive in Skyrim and we're willing to forgive in fallout and new Vegas and their past games come with the territory of Bethesda games. Right. And I think that's one of the things that affects Skyrim. And I think that's one of the things that's going to affect games criticism in general. I truly believe 
that you and I are not going to connect with critics in the next 10 years. That's and fair. I think here's the thing is yeah. we are only just now seeing a new generation of gamers, right? For all intents and purposes, like we're, we're, we're too young to sit here and say we were alive for all of it. Right. Because even though outside of like pong, right. We were living, you know, in the world for all the video games. I didn't start playing games. till I was like in my, in my teens. Right. So I missed SNES, NES, Genesis, really all of that stuff outside of the second hand going to my cousin's house. So I saw where it came from. Right. In 10 years, a kid who grew up on Fortnite. Is gonna is gonna give fucking Fallout Six a seven? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, right? and, and, Maybe. And that's a, but but think about it, right? It's kind of the same thing you see with politicians, right? Where a lot of the stuff people say is like the the old the the boomers have to die out before things change. Whether that's true or not is your prerogative, but you hear that, right? One generation die has to go away for what the new new generation believes in to really take hold, right? Because Nancy Pelosi is being wheeled into the Senate and Mitch McConnell is Bethesda glitching in front of Congress, right? And I think that goes with the territory for games criticism. And I think that's really what's happened with Starfield. I, th- I think Mitch McConnell may have just landed on my roof. I heard a big <laughs> thud when you called his name. I think you've summoned him. <laughs> I've summoned Mitch McConnell. But, but no, I get what you mean. Because like going back to your thing, like you know, you're saying like you weren't there for it all. But one thing I think is fair is that the age that you started gaming was right around the time where um the online and, and that's where games media is is online now, and it wasn't. Yeah always right before it was driven to magazines and areas that you had to be far more into gaming to want to take that extra dive to even see what critics had to say about Mm -hmm. games and then over time it got a little easier okay well if you have tv and you have something that has uh, g4 bam now you can hear people talk about games on g4 it's still very specific games probably only the biggest ones but here you are you have g4 and then internet becomes far easier and broadband makes it easier for people to do it without having to disconnect so on and so forth and you hit this point where now 2008 online is real easy to get into people are getting really into you know 2006 even you could say people are getting into reviewing games online ign's online sector is starting to blow up blow up blow up and games media suddenly is still printed but it's rapidly shifting to online like we are today we've been alive for all of that Mm -hmm. and the people that we looked up to for all of that were older than us by you know seven to ten years and they're going to get to a point where in 10 years they may not be in the industry at all anymore they yeah. may be retiring or they even if they don't completely retire out there's going to be the new guard regardless of how if you want it to happen or anything there will be the new guard there will be new people uh which you also saw a new wave to some degree come in with youtube uh, allowing anybody to do it and you have a new guard that's kind of there but it's not necessarily replacing. So I don't think anything's going to replace necessarily, but I think the new guard will eventually hit a point where they're so loud and they're so much more intact with the more active part of the gaming industry that it becomes a thing of like, yeah, we're not going to agree with the, uh, the vast majority of the voice of the critic, or at least there's a decent chance that we won't be in touch with what the critics are saying. So I get where you're coming from, yeah, but it's just- to, to push back on something real quick that you had said, 
you said that you don't think that anyone's still making a game like Bethesda and that you score, you score these games and you forgive the things that are Bethesda-like because no one does it. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I still more or less agree with you. But then I think that there's a really big question that has to be asked. Why were they more forgiving of it than for a game like Skyrim on PS3, well, a game that was notoriously broken for so many people, even more so than you're, you've seen with any game since from them, more or less, maybe not Fallout 76. Um but the point being there is why were they so much more forgiving of it back then than they are now? And what is well, the difference? And that's why I was saying I think it's because that delta has shrunk and other people have made massive worlds. And so they can point to that massive world and go, this does massive worlds a bit better than this does. And then someone else can go, ah, this does weird physics and character interactions better than this does, but it doesn't have a big world. And so what's happening is each developer's clinging in on the one thing and being like, ah, this has been outpaced somewhere else. But no developer can deny the fact that no, no other game has taken all of these moving parts and put them together as effectively as this, even if other games have done individual aspects better. And I still think that's shifted. I just think <clears throat> that it's back when Skyrim came out, less games had done less things like Bethesda in any aspect that you it, you had to forgive them because it was like they're pioneering and to some degree i don't i can't say having not played the game but i don't think that that's as pioneering right now because the rise of in, the rise of indie games and people being able to make games on their own means that a game like no man's sky can come out and make you go holy shit i've never seen a game of this scale and it's an inherently different game than starfield but it's much larger and so that impacts the way that you look at Starfield. If Starfield releases before No Man's Sky, all these comparisons are gone. Well, yes, that's fair. Um, because what other game has been uni- has been you know universe trotting? You have. I think. <laughs> I guess in the end, I don't necessarily agree with you. I think the thing is this: right, <laughs> a kid who grew up on Skyrim is not going to find Starfield as impressive. Because they grew up on that, versus a person who grew up on Super Mario One playing Skyrim. So that could be an explanation for it right there. But I think the thing is, even if you did come from the beginning, right? We've played sure. F- Fallout Three, we've played Fallout New Vegas, played mm-hmm. all the Fallout DLC, played all the Skyrim DLC. You know, played Skyrim, played Fallout Four. Some of you may have dabbled in Fallout 76. So in the end, yes, the delta may be shrinking, but the I think the delta of how impressive what Bethesda can do is what's shrinking because we've seen it six times, right? And for a lot of people who are And significantly wrong, farther apart. Somebody else did it better, right? Yeah. Those is people are incorrect. Because uh, New Vegas is not better than Fallout 3. But what I'm One saying is... One specific aspect of it is. Which is what? Writing characters. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> do, do you understand what I'm saying? Where we've seen it so many times that Starfield's not impressive. But if Starfield get- swapped places with Skyrim, Skyrim would Starfield would be the 10-year game. Skyrim would be the 87. It's just no, no, time. I get... I get what you mean, but does that timing 
does that timing not also play into the industry though? I mean, cause yeah, you're right. Timing, you're trying to say that there's, it's a known quantity. And so the known yes. quantity aspect is, uh, means that each time you see it, it loses just a little bit more of its luster until it becomes like, well, it's good, but it's, it's not blowing me away anymore. It's not new. Yeah. And I get that. It's but I don't really, I, but you know, I think that that still speaks into my argument when everybody else does some of these aspects, each one of these aspects is getting a little bit of its luster taken away because other games are doing it. And the awe of it all is just kind of piece by piece being shrunk. So even when you have it all together in a single game, it pulls back just a hair. My th- look, we can argue about this all day. Clearly, I just, I think, don't even, I just which is funny because I, I think we're arguing over the same thing. I'll be honest with you. I, uh, <laughs> because my thing is, if I said to someone, if you, I, if I said to someone, if you like Fallout Four, you like Starfield. Mm-hmm. They would like Starfield. If I said to someone, if you liked Witcher Three, you'd like Starfield. It, it's not one to one. That's all no, I'm kind of saying. Sure. You, it's very specific. Bethesda is specific. Yeah. Regardless of the fact, I just think it's a matter of. Seen game, played game. You know, there's a... Speaking of the old guard of IGN, I don't know if you remember Ty Root. He was on a bunch of IG, old, old IGN podcasts. And this is when, you know, IGN was more fun. And he used to say, behind every attractive woman is a man tr- tired of sleeping with her. He used to say that way less clean than I just said it. But it's the it would translate to the same thing in video games, right? Same yeah. thing in movies. I've stopped seeing Marvel movies and I've stopped buying every Call of Duty. So I got tired of sleeping with it. You know what I mean? I, think <laughs> I mean, yeah. Starfield yeah. is the same way. In my yeah, opinion. I could see that. Because I will Starfield's say my, awesome. my, my desire for Starfield, at least from an outside similar perspective as, as Skyrim leading up to it, right? Like it's here it is. It's about to be here. My level of hype for Starfield is like I want to play it. But I'm not. I don't need to play it. <laughs> Can I ask you? You know what I mean. Question. Yeah. To feed into the fanboy war, not on purpose. Sure. If Starfield was on PlayStation, would you be playing it today? Nope. Okay. I can say that with absolute certainty. <laughs> and, and I'd run into the same problem. Half of it, it's just that this year smacked, and that's a huge game, and I know it. And it's like, okay, sure. I don't want to play that right now. And I've had a problem with huge games all year. Um, but also just nothing about it. Like I've seen everything it's doing done elsewhere, which is kind of my point. Uh, not all at once, but I've seen it all done elsewhere. And so I think if you show me Starfield, like I said, before No Man's Sky and before Elite Dangerous and before The Outer Worlds, before a bunch of different games that have similarities with it, then mm-hmm. I can maybe be like, okay, I need to play this. But... I'm not feeling it here. I want to play it. And if I can find a way to reasonably make time to play it, I'm good. But you know, half of that comes off the back of Fallout 4 not clicking with me as much as it should have, or at least as much as I felt it should have. So part of it is that my Bethesda love is broken to some degree. Fallout 76 didn't help. I don't think it's a terrible game, but I also don't think it restored any of my faith in them as a developer. No. So. Yeah. I mean, look, we agree in a lot of ways. I think Scott, I think Starfield is an excellent game. I would not be surprised if my top three this year are Sea of Stars, Starfield, and Baldur's Gate 3, because that's what yeah. it is right now. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's a good year for games. It's just 
which ones do you make time for? And I think everyone's list changes based off of what they made time for. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, we'll get to moving on. Let's jump into the community's take real quick. If you're new to the show, the community's take is where at the end of every episode, we ask a question that comes either from something our listeners asked us or something we talked about throughout the episode or just something in general related to gaming that we want to hear your thoughts on, give you an, uh, an avenue, an opportunity, a platform to let us hear your thoughts and maybe change our perspective or show us and tell us something that we uh, didn't know. So this one came courtesy of Jehudi MD. Last week he asked us if we put any games on a pedestal uh, and then compared other games against them per genre. And so we narrowed it down just a hair. What is one genre and one game within that genre that you put on a pedestal and compare all other games within that genre against? The example I gave... The Witcher 3 is what you may compare all other Western RPGs against. And uh, we had a lot of different answers with a lot of different um, genres. So I was really glad to kind of separate them off like that. So the first one comes from Yuna. And they say, for me, Trails always is my take for JRPGs to stand up against just due to its world building that's involved with it. So... And I get that, right? So the one thing that's important to them is specifically world building. And they look and they try and go up against that. Um, And Chris, one thing I really like about this question is that this is, this really shows who's a, who's a pessimist and who's an optimist in my opinion, (laughs) because I could see someone saying, well, why would you put a game on a pedestal and then pit other games against it? That's unfair. Uh, and it's only going to make you not like a game as much. And I do not view it that way at all. I think putting a game on a pedestal and then comparing other things to it means that you compare other things to it in the hope that you get something to knock that game off of its pedestal and have a new thing going so that you go, holy crap, I thought nothing could be better than this. And then this came along and just knocked it out of the park, and I'm even more excited now because it did this, this, or this better. And I love that because I just think it, it's one more game to the to the stack of great games you've played. I don't think that that's a pessimistic view at all. So, I don't know. Where are you at? Do you think that it makes you negative to compare a game to something? Oh, you're muted. Uh, no, I do not think it makes you negative to compare the game to something that's... Like all, that's all anyone does. We compare all things to all things. That's what we as creatures do. <laughs> yeah, that's. I feel like that's kind of like the point of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Like, <laughs> this pizza is better than this pizza to me. Well, and it's the same pizza. thing, right? When you when you love a pizza. And you're like, man, I kind of put all pizzas against Joe's Pizza because Joe's Pizza smacks. And then you go to a place and you're like, holy shit, this pizza was better than Joe's. You're like, (laughs) it makes you that much more hype. You're like, I never thought it could have been done. But here we are. The Pizza Pantheon has grown another larger. (laughs) 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 All right. We got another answer here from uh, Sweet Gran Turismo Jones. He says, easy for me. And in case the name didn't give it away, he says, racing and Gran Turismo. GT is at the top of all racing games, Dirt Rally 2.0 for rally games, Wreckfest for derby games, Ride 5 for motorcycle racers, and Drive Club for arcade. The rest can stuff it. So he went overall genre and then specific side genres and gave you a point of each one, but GT still tops the list. I kind of I vibe with this one a lot because I do think Gran Turismo is like very top tier racing. Um, he's right though. Drive Club for arcade is... Really up there. And I know that a lot of people disagree with on me on this, and Blake is one of them. 
But half of the reason I can't ever get into Forza, uh, Forza Horizon, I don't think it feels as good as Drive Club or Need for Speed. <laughs> so every year I play them and I try and I play for about 15 hours and I'm like, I, I, it doesn't feel right. And I don't really care for the way this feels. I'm going to move on. So it happens. Fair enough. Does happen. Uh, he answered late, but I would be remiss to not give the answer of the person who asked a question. So Jehudi MD comes in. He says, mine is the newer dooms, fluid first person shooters, uh, and the maneuverability of the character spot on. It's awesome of how you know where your character will land versus other FPSs where it's a guessing game. Sometimes couple that with awesome first person gameplay and you have your secret sauce right there. I can't say that there's anything wrong with that. I agree. I would also say FPS is such a bloat is not the right word. It's a dense genre with a lot of different styles. Um, we were talking about earlier being spoiled for choice on the soundtracks. I think the FPS genre is spoiled for choice about certain games doing certain things really well. Mm-hmm. So, Cause I mean, the uh, the de facto Call of Duty. There's a reason that Call of Duty is so popular. It does feel good. It doesn't matter if even if you don't like the game that much, you can play for a couple minutes. But like, it does feel good. I mean, this <laughs> is on po- is on point shooting. <laughs> yeah, I had oh. a joke. I had a joke come to my mind. I'm like, I can't say it, but it's funny. <laughs> Sorry to the internet. Oh, mm. you just. Uh, you're blue ball in the audience, Chris. That was what the joke was about. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting blue balls. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, let's see. We've got uh, Savoy Prime coming in. He says, Ghost of Tsushima is currently the bar that all other open world games are held to for me. The cinematography, voice work, animations, the narrative, writing, the look of the world, everything was just handled with so much care and attention. Sucker Punch Productions really nailed it. Honestly, great choice. Of all of the Assassin's Creed style games that have uh, taken that type of idea and expanded on it, I think Ghost of Tsushima has been the most effective. And I think it's really good. Chris, did you ever beat it? No, I did not. I didn't think so. So Chris clearly doesn't agree, but he doesn't inherently disagree, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't dis. I don't necessarily dislike Ghost of Tsushima. I just didn't finish it. That's all. Yeah. Uh, we got two more here. A one-armed wolf, one of our patrons, says, I'm sure it's no surprise, but the game I now compare all other third-person melee action or Souls-likes to is Sekiro. Everything about the game is exceptional, from combat to the story to the world you traverse. Yeah, facts. Yeah, Chris has got you back. And the last one here comes from Velvet Thunder, another one of our patrons and the namesake behind the Velvet Corner, which we will get to eventually. He says, I don't have one, but I think Street Fighter VI should be the benchmark to which all future fighting games need to reach in terms of content, options, and accessibility. Well, it sounds like you have one there, Velvet. (laughs) It does. Sounds like exactly what the question was. (laughs) So it sounds like fighting game. Street Fighter Six, bam, you got it. It's okay. You can be a little coy. You can be a little coy in the koi pond. Um, go ahead, and uh, we're going to go ahead and go into the news, Chris. Are you okay with that? Let's do it. 
right, if you guys want to be part of the community stake, remember you can find us on social media over on X or formerly Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us in a Facebook group, which most of you don't these days. I guess uh, everybody just abandoned the Facebook, but that's okay. And a group <laughs> called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. We did get one person who asked us a question over there today. Uh, or you can find us in my favorite spot, which is the Discord, which is always linked below whether you're watching this on video or if you're listening to this on podcast service. You can click down in the description and find the link to the Discord. Jump in and find me and Chris as well as a bunch of our other listeners. We'd love to have you there. Um, but the first piece of news is actually in regards to Final Fantasy 16. So Square have announced that Final Fantasy 16 has two DLCs in the works, uh, and they tease that the PC version is on the way. It's coming. They have finally confirmed that it's going to come after all the back and forth talk of if you want to play the game by a PS5, <laughs> which is <laughs> not inherently wrong of them to say. I kind of get it. I mean, we're making the game for PS5 if you want to play it right now. All I can tell you is buy a PS5. I mean, facts, though. I mean, it does have a little bit of that. Well, we have a product for those people, and it's called the Xbox 360. I, I know it kind of <laughs> has that feel to it. I don't think it's as bad. <laughs> It's definitely not as bad because he's not talking to soldiers in Afghanistan. Well, and he's also, he's just saying this is the game and this is the game we're making it for. That's it. Yeah. Like, this is the system we're making it for. It's nothing more than that. He's that just saying, yeah, if you always play just the game, kills me because he's, it was what, Phil Harrison who said that? Yeah. And no, it was, it, was, uh, it wasn't Phil Harrison. Oh, it, was, it was the guy who almost killed Zynga, too. Why did you do this to me? I oh, know his no. name, Don Matrick. Don Matrick, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just I hate that one because he was saying it in response to a soldier who's like I can't get on the internet. He's like, "Cool, buy a 360." Okay. <laughs> yeah, bold move. And you know what's Wild. worse is that was at that point. Do you remember that that was at the year where like the last three years of PS3, Sony went ham and had tons of incredible exclusives and like swan songs for studios and stuff. Yeah. And by 2013, Microsoft was just kind of like, yeah, fuck the 360. <laughs> like we haven't put out an exclusive game since Halo 4. <laughs> like yeah. it's just like, well, we don't care. And Halo <laughs> 4 was like the last one in a while. So. It was a real funny situation to be in, but uh, yeah, what a, what a sentence to say. Uh, that <laughs> is followed, though, that piece of news by a question from Savoy Prime, who says, do you think the announcement of the PC version of Final Fantasy 16 being in the works came sooner than expected due to Square Enix whining about the, quote, low console sales? I, I don't think so. I think that that was... I think A Square is known for smoking crack. <laughs> if you're a crackhead, I mean, sorry, I, I don't know what you're doing listening to this show, uh, but I hope that you get help. Uh, so if that offended you, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but yeah, Square is on one all the time. We know that that's how it is. That is, they always think everything undersells. But if you actually look at a lot of the news, I think that was blown up by the media cycle to try and get attention and stir stuff up because there has been just as many times where Square has said that given the install rate of the PlayStation 5 and the time and of it, the time in its life cycle where it's at, that the number of sales matched what they were reasonably expecting and that they should expect given the sales numbers. So I don't know what to do with that information other than say, the media is always against you, the 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 person who consumes the news, because they're trying to find a way to rile you up. Square is mm -hmm. also stupid, and I know that, and I've seen plenty of times where on paper Square is like, yeah, this game didn't sell enough. Well, it sold 10 million copies. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. Um, 
I don't think that's why it came. I think it's just one of those things where it's not an official announcement. This was kind of off the cuff. I don't think that there's probably much keeping them from being able to say, yeah, we're working on a PC version. In no way did they tell you a date and anticipation. Nothing that would stop anybody who was going to reasonably buy it on PS5 anytime soon from buying it on PS5. I just think that they were already talking about the game, talking about the DLC, and they're like, oh, by the way, while we're working on DLC, we're also starting work on the PC port. Facts. Exactly. So... Because I think the rest of that wasn't the rest of that quote like buy a PS5 because we haven't even started basically. That was yeah the original quote was yeah we've been making it for PS5 and exclusively for PS5 which has allowed us quicker development time and quicker iteration time. So that's what we're focused on. If you want to buy if you want to play the game right now you're going to buy a PS5. Yeah, and he basically said a PC version. Even back then it was kind of like. I think it was strongly beating around the bush that a PC version would eventually come. It's just, yeah, that's not what we're being paid to do. So we're yeah, taking right. advantage of that. We're taking <laughs> advantage of being only having to develop for one console, which is what I would do as a developer in a heartbeat. If if I was a developer and Square was like, hey guys, uh, PlayStation paid us and we're just going to make this exclusively for PS5. I'd be like, fuck yes. <laughs> Some <laughs> other team, or, or at least after we're done, we can worry about making a PC port or whatever port is going to come, you know? Yeah, exactly. What are your thoughts? Do you think this game will ever hit Xbox? Ever? Yeah, that's strong wording. Final Fantasy VII still not being on Xbox has me thinking the answer is no. My answer (laughs) is at the current structure of the industry, yes. That's a fair point. I, I could see it either way. I'm still erring on the side of I don't think so, just because I still think if that were something Square was really genuinely interested in do, and if it was something that PlayStation was interested in letting Square do, uh, we would have already gotten Final Fantasy VII. But I don't disagree. Not. The The problem with your question is you said ever. <laughs> ever is a strong word, yeah. Because I didn't say I didn't say if, will it come as a remaster on the Xbox 720 that never came out. Well, but here's the thing: supposedly, <laughs> what if the fi- next Xbox is called 720? That would be very funny. <laughs> Go it ahead. should just be called 360 again because they went full circle. Yep, the Xbox full circle would be an even better name. Would be an even better name. It just looks like a 360, and it has the blades. Um, Shit, what was I going to say? What were we talking about? (laughs) Final Fantasy 16 ever coming. Because um, I think yes, because apparently uh, there was a leak about the new Switch and Final Fantasy 7 Remake is supposedly a launch title for it. So, I'll believe that when I see it. To be fair, Sony doesn't seem to give a shit about Nintendo. (laughs) They care about it. Yes, 100% true. Yeah, that's, that's all I have to say, probably. Almost definitely in the current state of the industry. Fair point. All right, let's keep going on. The next piece of news. Star Wars Jedi Survivor is being updated on PS5 to make the game run at a solid 60 frames per second when played in performance mode. Respawn worked the mode, reworked the mode to make the game run more consistently. Quality mode has also been changed to reduce FPS fluctuation and add more visual improvements while the variable refresh rate is active on the console. So it does have VRR support for PS5 if you want to run that. And generally a more stable game with some more bug fixes in the work. Um, 
That game had way more problems than just performance. I will just be the first to say that. I still think it was a good game, but it had issues, and I was frustrated often while playing it. Uh, some of that frustration was because I refused to not play it on performance mode because as I long held, if you ship a game with performance mode, it should not be wrong for me to expect to play the game in, in, in a reasonable state. I will continue. I will die on that hill. If you don't want performance mode because it's not consistent, don't ship it. Added in a patch later. If they added performance mode now, I would have just waited. I would have never played it until they came out with this. Assuming that this even works. But, you know, if we're going to take them in good faith, which I shouldn't because good faith, <laughs> they told me it was a performance mode that worked. Um, so, yeah, I you know, this is good. And in the means of being able to save games and update them down the line, this is a good... The, the fact that EA is doing this uh, when they abandon Anthem in many ways is actually a good sign. Um, and then the fact that games get to be updated and saved, I think, is good for games like Redfall that came out to less than stellar reviews. And actually, there was a quote from Pete Hines where he was saying that they're not going to abandon Redfall and that given time, it will be made into a game that's closer to what people expected from it quality-wise. So the good and the bad of all game updates is that games are more likely to ship broken, but studios are also more likely to fix them <laughs> if they ship broken. Uh, whereas at one point in time, if you shipped broken, uh, you were done. <laughs> I mean, that was it. That was Shit the game. Allah. Yeah. I guess at worst, you just print a whole new batch of disc, which it's even more expensive. That would suck. <laughs> like, I kind of want to buy a hot coffee version of GCA San Andreas. Oh, yeah, dude. Why the fuck not? That'd be awesome. Yeah. Let's just see it. Can't believe they butts. ever even ridiculous. Ridiculous. Well, now I can fuck a lizard in fucking favor, and and back then I, know, I couldn't I'm press square you. to fuck a a person. <laughs> Gaming's come a long way, guys. <laughs> I God can fuck a bear Mass now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you could fuck aliens, they were like, yeah. I mean, all gloves are off. <laughs> right, you can exactly. fuck a bear. Why not? <laughs> well, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you idiot. Uh, uh, next, next piece of news playstation portal the device sony fleshed out a bit last week has now received a release date of november 15th pre-orders have started already via playstation direct so if the portal seems like your cup of tea your cup of tech rather um yeah go over and uh, and pre-order it i mean this is not a situation where I will put my money where my mouth is because the, the the amount is too high and the use case is too little for me um but i'm a big fan of trying when it makes sense for, to spend money on something that you're unsure of. Uh, speaking of which, I bought the Starfield Xbox case or whatever you want to call it, Xbox cover, because part of me thinks it's going to make the system look cheaper because it's sitting on the outside. But part of me thinks there's a chance it does look better. So I spent the $50 on the wrist that it makes my Xbox Series X look cooler. <laughs> I have a strong feeling that I'm going to take it off because I'm going to prefer the more all-in-one integrated look of just the base system. But I would love to be proven wrong. So if uh, if you end up getting a PlayStation portal, let me know if I'm wrong and that it's actually an awesome device. Sounds good. <laughs> but also vindicate me if I'm correct. If it sucks, I want to hear, Brett was right, bro. <laughs> That's all I'm looking for. Okay, guys. 
Next piece of news, Activision is going all uh, 1984 on us. I think George Orwell just became their new uh, CEO because they're adding an AI voice moderation. I guess he wouldn't because his book was about warning, like, you know, warning against it. So who would yeah. who would be the person here? Phil Spencer. <laughs> there we go. Phil Spencer. Uh, no, Activision's adding AI voice moderation to Modern Warfare 3 via ToxMod from Modulate. The aim of the software is to cut down on toxic voice chat usage. So the technology is currently in beta and will be available globally with the launch of Modern Warfare 3. Um, this is a weird one. Because I understand that anything you say, you have to be willing. And I, I use this, I say this at work all the time. Don't say something if you're not willing to have someone hear you say it and tell someone else. That's the kind of nature of things. Um, but this feels weird and invasive. And I know that it's supposed to be for the greater good. But I feel like most things that take away from what should be a reasonable expectation of freedom uh, do so on the fact that it's going to make you feel better. Kind of like how, no, guys, we're just going to look through all of your emails and personal data and cell phones because somebody blew up the World Trade Center. I mean, I don't really like the trade. I'm going to be honest with you. I'd rather <laughs> I'd say what you will, but that's my take on it. And I, it's kind of like, I don't want... I don't want. I don't talk about work much, and I'm not going to talk about it in a in a real sense. Uh, but I was with a customer the other day, and they were talking about how someone wanted them to get a, a camera in the bathroom because they had had someone fall in the bathroom, and they think it was someone just trying to fall and get money. And so the person's like, "We need to put a camera in the bathroom." And they were trying to seriously, like, not my customer, who thankfully has the power to stop that, but the rest of the people were like, "Yeah," and I was like. Do people have zero expectation of not being under surveillance state at all times? That's fucking weird. Right. And I know it's that weird. I'm somebody who's who a, a lot of hours of me is on the internet and I volunteer it, but I volunteer it. That's the fucking difference. Yeah. That is weird as shit. And this is weird as shit. If I'm being honest, I do not think that an AI should be listening to you so that it can report you just because you said something that it didn't like. Who determines what's something that shouldn't be said? Mm-hmm. This well, is, that's the, I, I that's don't like the, this shit. Just like I don't like being able to report people in private party chats. That's fucking weird. It is weird. Just don't talk to them. If you don't like what that person says, move the fuck on. <laughs> yeah. It's like that Tyler, the creator tweet. How is cyberbullying cyber real? Just close the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No joke, though. How? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you can try and say, well, you can just walk away. Those are very different ramifications. I mean, they're, I don't, regardless, this is weird. I don't think anybody should be applauding this, but this is apparently where the industry is going. I don't like it. We can move on, I suppose. Yeah, I don't like it either. It's good that I don't really play a lot of multiplayer games because this is fucking gross. That's, yeah. And here's the thing it's not even about like the people playing Call of Duty yelling the n-word and saying like heil hitler or something stupid like that and making people it doesn't feel matter what i'm saying it's no one's me and it. you having a private conversation about my girlfriend and fucking a the ai is like oh he said she's being a bitch banned like you know what i mean we, we yeah, have everyone else muted. it doesn't yeah. matter and even there, there's a record of that somewhere you he, know that's my bigger problem i don't yeah. care because like you know there's the part of me that like in our bedroom, we have a Google home 
And I am a little iffy on it. I don't, we only have it in the bedroom because we don't really spend any time in our bedroom besides sleeping and doing the adult stuff. Um, I mean, I have a child, so that much is kind of clear. You've done it but one time. <laughs> the joke, <laughs> the joke ratioed. <laughs> no, um, the joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one to zero still one to zero chris <laughs> god damn it um, so the joke i used to make is like and no more, i've never been comfortable with it but like my my weird way of being like relatively okay with it because i use it as an alarm clock which is very useful Me too. Um, is that since I'm never really in there and nothing's really ever said in there, it's like if they want to hear me banging my wife, that's their business. I mean, like, it's still gross, though, if I'm being honest. But, like, that's I don't weird. like having them anywhere else in the house. And I know people say, well, your phone's on you. Don't be wrong. I mean, I don't like it anywhere. I, I, it's a gross idea no matter where Phrasing. it's coming from. What is, the, what is going on with you this episode, dude? <laughs> Listen, man, I'm thirsty. I, I mean that literally. I actually am very thirsty. Drink I need some to get a drink. fucking water, dude. <laughs> drink some Gatorade. Um, I need the electrolytes for for performance. Um, for the otherwise, stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna dip some frame rate. You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a few frames. Okay, Jedi Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we can move on from that AI unless sucks. you have something else you want to say. I don't. But yeah, oh, I don't. surveillance sucks. Listen, thank God, Call of Duty Four and Modern Warfare Two. This did not exist, and I know that's Isn't like a, a meme wild? and it's joke, but. <laughs> Seriously. Hear me out, Chris. Yeah. Hear me out, Chris. Do you remember almost exactly 10 years ago? Uh-huh. Nate Fox from Sucker Punch <laughs> came out. <laughs> Nate Fox from Sucker Punch came out on stage at the PS3 reveal event in February. So uh-huh. it's been 10 years and some odd months. And he started talking about the police state. In this world in which cameras were seeing everything and monitoring monitoring people and the worries that that caused and how they were using those cameras to enslave people and make them do what they want and how that was a bad thing. And everybody was like, yes. And in the same fucking industry, 10 years later, we're like, AI and voice chat. Yes, that's fucking – it's the same thing. Yeah. I guess the problem is – It's okay when it's fiction. It's not okay when it's reality. this This goes for everything, right? You shouldn't live your life by movies, but if you discover a mummy tomb that's 3,000 years old, leave it alone. You know, (laughs) you find a little bit of DNA from dinosaurs in like frozen in the glaciers, leave it alone. Right? We don't heed movies too much, right? And again, I know it's ridiculous, they're movies, but here's the thing. James Cameron made Terminator already. We know what could happen with AI. And I feel like people do not take it seriously. In a totally different way than, you know, Drake being upset that an AI can make better songs than he can. Or people being upset that there's digital AI artists out there. The part that freaks me out is everyone is okay feeding all this information to a machine who we know Google has shut down AIs because they were worried they became sentient. And we're like, yeah, you fucking, can you make it sound like me? Can you make me sing the Macarena? I didn't know that. 
I don't remember hearing that Google shut down an AI because it was sentient because I'm pretty sure we're well off from that. But uh, Who the fuck knows? Uh, that could all be urban legend but, bullshit. No, but look, point being across the board, it, it is, yeah, we don't heed enough stuff. And I mean, that goes to, even outside of AI, that goes to surveillance state. Right. Whether I'm they not saying are, it's any better, dude. If there was a if there was another person on the other end listening to the 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 recordings of Jim Call Ryan's of Duty voice in your chats, party chat, he's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> also, yeah, could you imagine if someone had to listen to the shit that people say that doesn't actually matter? You'd just be right. like, "Dude, people are fucking weird." Because we are. That's yeah. the, the one truth of uh, the only truth is that people are weird. I say that all the time. All the, I have the meaning say, of the word weird weird doesn't even make sense because we're all weird. Yeah. All I have to say is we are putting an AI to monitor a video game about fast-paced warfare. Okay? Do you understand Where what I'm saying Where you murder millions you? of people. Yes. Yeah. We are now, there is now an AI being taught the intricacies of quickscoping and <laughs> 360 They will headshots. be able to 360 no-scope us in record time dude you don't understand okay this thing becomes sentient because it's now listening to us it's listening to the way we all convey emotions it is watching call of duty and then all of a sudden tony stark creates ultron this thing takes it fucking over and we all die because somebody was scared of being called a shitty player in a call of duty voice chat i don't like that i mean if somebody wrong is is fucked up in the chat, just call the cops. Brett, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as much as Baldur's Gate 3 was a good hit to uh, Chris's Metacritic draft, oh. um, the pendulum always has to swing the other way. So Suikoden 1 and 2 remasters are being delayed. Konami tweeted out a, resp- a statement from the team. Quote, we would like to thank Suikoden fans everywhere for your ongoing passion and support for the Suikoden series. The message reads, regarding the planned release of Suikoden 1 and 2 HD remaster, Gate Rune and Dunan Unification Wars, <laughs> we have reached the conclusion that despite the very best efforts of our dedicated development staff to release the remasters in 2023, Additional time is needed to ensure the quality, performance, and gameplay experience our users deserve. The entire Suikoden team is renewing our efforts to bring Suikoden 1 and 2 HD remaster to release as soon as is possible. We will share further release information as soon as it becomes available on our official social media accounts and official homepage. We appreciate your understanding and sincerely hope you will continue to lend Suikoden your support. End quote. Um, so yeah, not coming this year, and as we've seen with a few things today, uh, delays are, are coming, and as Chris and I said, delays are coming, and it's not going to help a whole lot. It's only going to alleviate the pressure and spread it a little thinner, uh, at least. A lot of games are moving, and most of it is because the release window is too too crowded. I'm not so sure this isn't just a veiled what version of we have no reasonable time to release this niche game, so we're going <laughs> to wait. Because uh, THQ Nordic announced today that uh, Alone in the Dark is going to be pushed to January instead of coming out in October. It was originally intending. And You're their entire reason they gave is that there's too many games coming out in October for them to be reasonably successful. And while moving to January is not nearly as useful as October, 
I understand where they're coming from. Whether or not it will work the way they want, it's a completely different conversation. But I understand the fear that comes with going up against Spider-Man and Alan Wake 2 and a litany of other games. You know, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. So, Chris, how do you feel about this, uh, this extra zero to your list? It's pretty brutal because I got another zero coming. Yeah? So, Which one's that? Stellar Blade. <laughs> What's... <laughs> And Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. <laughs> oh, that's already counted. Here's the crazy part is I might have had the best picks of the draft. Oh, you 100% lose. did. And yeah. lose. <laughs> I, I won't say that you're going to lose yet, but it is looking pretty rough that you had you had three of the highest scoring games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I have three of the most mid-scoring games. But yeah, enough but zero scores. We'll sink a ship. <laughs> <laughs> I think right now we have the same amount because you have what one, two, three. I know a few of them have moved. I mean, I know I've, I've been hit with a few. Well, I didn't even put Pikmin on yours. Yeah, but I have a ninety-five, a ninety-six, and a ninety-four, <laughs> and a ninety-two, I... and I still could lose. Because <laughs> right now the score yeah. is seventy-one to sixty-eight. So yeah. I mean, which is weird because I, I put about, in Baldur's Gate and lost points. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, that's pretty rough. <laughs> I don't get it, but um, yeah, I do saw Spider Man, Liza P. You, yeah, sure. Uh, Pikmin Four landed right where I was. Do you remember what we talked about? Like that'll be a high performing eighty. Here we yeah. are, with Nailed a chance it. of being a ninety, and I wasn't wrong. <laughs> I should so. have taken Sea of Stars because I knew it was going to be good. But I'm at a point, and this is what's fun about the fantasy draft is I'm at a point where I can just full on have conversations with you about it because <laughs> you can't pick anything else. And I don't know what else to pick for this year. Sea <laughs> of Stars is like the last thing I could think of. Well, know? Armored Core Six was a good ad for me. Yeah, uh, Phantom Liberty is going to come down to being my really important game. I feel like, uh, I think and I, because, I feel confident about it. So it's I okay. think because we're not picking specific. Like if this was like you can only pick PS5 games, right? First off, I'd lose Zelda. But second off, true, you would you would probably you would have to worry about Cyberpunk. Is it like are they reviewing the PC version or the console version? You know, that's where Cyberpunk's a good pick because the PC version will probably be great. The rest of them. You know, next gen's or last gen's not included in the fun, but thankfully, so. we're all man. Oh my god! Imagine <sighs> best news. I, I know someone's pissed about that, but best news <laughs> could have ever come. <laughs> I wish I tried it on PS4, but I want to know. I mean, you can always find out. I'm not buying another PS4. I have enough consoles <laughs> to have one that is playable with the PS5. <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but I almost wish you could tell the PS5 to just be a PS4 since it has a chipset. Like, hey, yeah. don't give don't give any of the benefits. Right. Pretend you're a PS4. That would be cool. Just be just so you can see how games change, right? You should be able to toggle whether you want enhanced backwards compatibility. <laughs> like on in the Master game. Chief Collection. Well, and I say that anyway because, like, wouldn't that be useful? Because if a game and enhanced backwards compatibility, like the way it's supposed to work, is not actually working right, but you can turn it off and it starts working right, that'd be useful. You could have a game, certain game-level control, like do I want this extra or not? So, mm-hmm. who knows? I'm with you. All right, let's see. We've got a little bit more in the news here, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yep. 
Yeah, here we are. The the big, big thing. Now, uh, finally, the big news on the mind of PlayStation fans came this week with Sony announcing Saints Row Black Desert Traveler Edition and Generation Zero are going to be available to claim in the PlayStation Store with a PS Plus sub of any tier as of this episode. They are available. Remember that uh, the games uh, will stay in your library and be available to play forever should the urge come, so long as you have a PlayStation Plus subscription. Same thing they've always done. Uh, Generation Zero is currently holding a 45 on Metacritic, while Saints Row is a leap in relative quality at 61, while the crown jewel of the list is actually Black Desert, which sits at a 73. So the reason that we chose to give those when we don't usually mm-hmm. is while announcing the games of the month, Sony at the very end snuck in some changes to the price of PlayStation plus tiers. Um, PlayStation plus essential will be going up to $20. By $20. Uh, so yeah, by $20. Um, something to note here. This is strictly yearly. Yes. And that's going to come into play in this conversation, in my opinion. So PlayStation plus essential will be going up by $20 to $79.99 a year. Extra increases by $25 to $134 a year. And premium, a whopping $40 to $159.99 a year. Uh, in response to this news, Sony's stock price took a leap of about 3%, with analysts pegging the move at a nearly $400 million per year profit increase. So that's nothing to scoff at. This is despite the uproar from PlayStation fans on social media, which admonished the move as anti-consumer, especially given the quality of the games on offer this month and the slow trickle of titles into the upper tiers of the service, in particular the PlayStation Classics catalog. It is a little rough to say, hey, this sucks right after one of the highest rated games of the year uh, in Sea of Stars just hit the service day (laughs) one. (laughs) I just want to throw that out there. Um, But there's a lot to say here. And there's a lot of opinions, and I think all of them are valid and given one way or the other. And I still think that this has an impact. But I think two things are true, in my opinion. First thing that's true is that no matter how much the internet may admonish them, and may say that this is bad, this is anti-consumer, blah, blah, blah. I don't say blah, 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 blah to discredit them. I say it because the reality is, is that the vast majority of people who are PS Plus subscribers are not us. They are not the people who are very into and on the pulse of the gaming industry. And this stuff means something different to them. This doesn't, they don't even think about it that way. They see a service that they feel they have to need for certain things that they want to play. And they see it going up in price only through the yearly rate, this isn't even going to probably impact some people because some of those more casual people are probably paying by the month or by the three months. Which leads me to my second truth. It being only yearly, I'm not saying I agree with it, but it's the one tier where it makes the most sense because I don't think people realized just how much the yearly savings were. It was (laughs) kind of crazy. And so moving it up, even premium, right? Moving premium up by $40 is still, you're only paying about 65% of what you would pay if you did it by the month. Before, you were paying about 50 to 45% of what you were doing if you would have paid for it by the month. The savings were incredible, and I'm glad Sony offered that. But I think more people than they anticipated moved to that pricing, and they saw a decrease in profit because of that. And now they were like, maybe we can bump those up and keep those people or at least keep the majority of them and see some of that profit return to us. That's kind of where I land on this. There's a big conversation about the quality of the games. Chris, what do you think about all this? And 
more so the quality of the games too and how they play into your decision making with something like this when the time comes to renew or drop um i'm weird about it i think i think this should have been done gradually i could see that you know but how how gradually out of curiosity i don't know but me going like if you had told me it was going up by 10 bucks this month and then in three months 10 bucks and then in six months 20 bucks and got where you were you know in about eight months a year yeah Yeah. this would be a lot easier to swallow but it's hard to go hey that premium subscription you've gotten very little use out of because you bought sight unseen into something we told you we were going to do and have barely done yeah that's going up by 40 (laughs) dollars It, yeah. That's hard to hear. I think the only thing, and again, I think it's because I'm an optimist. This signals to me that they're going to do some kind of value add very soon. See, I thought so too. But the nagging part of my brain that looks at how bad inflation has been views this as Sony just finally going, you don't get to reap the benefits of uh, keeping a low price when inflation's gone up. So we're going to go ahead and raise the price. And while we're taking the opportunity, we're going to add a little bit more just in case inflation continues to go out of control. Bam. Now, I like to think that the real truth is somewhere in the middle. That Sony goes, we can raise it by a good chunk at the yearly rate so we make up some of our lost money. And we can add a little bit of better value to this all at once. Not enough to yeah. just completely eat up the increase in what we're te- making people pay for it, well, but enough to at least – if they do nothing, I think this will have bigger impact, maybe not still big enough impact for Sony to care. But I think it would be bigger if they did nothing. If, they, if, if it kept coming at the same rate and the game still were super inconsistent, I could see people being like, okay, what the fuck was the price increase for? But I, I think I've already given the answer. There's a reason that the monthly price did not go up. It's already mm-hmm. enough for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like, and again, it's all the internet's not a real place kind of shit. But I yep. feel like the uh, optics of raising it $40 when one of the games you're releasing for free to people is a 45 on Metacritic mm-hmm. is a bad look. And not for nothing, Jeff Grubb has said, like, hey, they're, they're going to do an event to talk about something like this. There's going to be a state of play. And it wouldn't surprise me, right, if the state of play ends and it just goes infamous available now or yeah. download infamous right now. That wouldn't surprise me. And that would make this worth it. Even if it was, you know, listening to other uh, Sacred Symbols podcasts, they talked about how, I think it was Moore's Law is Dead, has talked about how they've been able to emulate it on a game by game basis. Right. So, for all we know, what if Sony's just like, we got infamous working on PS5? Here it is. It might take. Two months to do the next game it might take a year, but we are but something. making the effort to put PS3 games on there. That would be like, to me, I'd be like, yeah, I'll pay that $40. I'll pay you $50 extra. You know, <laughs> depending on the thing is, depending on what they do, they can charge anything. If they go to a degree, but just every like month we said, we're the adding, not the not the real place. The other side, the flip coin of your point right there, right, is that there are people that don't care about PS3 emulation at all. Yeah, but they're not paying for X, uh, premium. 
I'm talking about yeah, the premium. You're, you're, people. Yeah, you're right. The, the highest hike. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Because yeah. you have to sell to those people, and those people are me. And and I don't know about you, but I have. Yeah. Uh, I don't know premium. who. I don't know who buys premium without being people who are like us. Right. Because if you're not, who if you just want a there. game library, you buy extra and you go, what the fuck is a Twisted Metal? You know what I mean? Like, and, <laughs> Or you go, I yeah, I played Twisted Metal 20 years ago. I want right. the new new. I- yeah. Exactly. Let me get that Sea of Stars. So it, it all depends. They could charge $200 and be like, every month we're putting five PS3 games for download on there. Yeah. Or they can char- charge an extra 40 and be like, we're doing jack shit. Or they can try and salvage some stuff and just be like, we're adding Vita to the list. Or here's a PS3 game, you know? To me, if they're doing yeah. a state of play, that thing's ending with a PS3 game playable for and downloadable, personally. Yeah, sure. Now, I'll tell you something to think about here, right? This doesn't necessarily mean anything super strong, and I am aware of that. Um, but look at it this way. You have, right now... You think about the the fact that they only went up in price on the yearly, right, for PlayStation. And then you try and look at what the other side of the aisle is doing, right? So you look and you say, okay, so right now it's going to be $159.99 or whatever for um, PS Plus Premium, okay? And I can understand how that is like, oh, that doesn't feel value proposition worth enough for it. But then you go over and you look at Game Pass for console, not even Game Pass Ultimate, doesn't include the ability to play online or any of that. Uh, and you look at that and you go, okay, that's $132 because you can only pay for it monthly and it's $11 a month. So are you really telling me right now that $18 does not make premium at a yearly if you want to buy it at that rate, that that's not still a really good deal? Because it is. It's just contextually what you've been playing. Like you said, the $40 all at once feels like shit. Because <laughs> here's the real, the crazy thing about it is prior to this price increase, yearly, you could get a year of the highest tier of PlayStation for cheaper than a year of the lowest tier. Well, there's Game Pass Core or whatever, which is what they replaced Gold with. But if you want real Game Pass, the lowest form of Game Pass would have been more money in the year than you're going to pay for on PlayStation. That doesn't mean that, depending on what you find value in, Xbox Game Pass is a very specific value proposition. Um, But then you look at Game Pass um, Ultimate, right? Game Pass Ultimate is $17 a month, and you can only get it by paying for it by month. That's $204 a year. That $159 doesn't look so bad now, does it? It's like, I get it. But when you try and remove yourself a little bit from it and you kind of look at it in a more pragmatic standpoint... I kind of see why Sony did what they did. And I I would only you're muted Chris. I would only I would only actually have a stronger opinion if they changed the monthly pricing. If the monthly pricing went up and the, like you know similarly in percentage I'd be like okay what the fuck are you doing to make this more worth this every month. Yeah. I agree with you. Because look <laughs> full full disclosure I I pay by the 3 month Okay, and, yeah. and I pay by the year, so this actually I, impacts me. I used I I did it once, and here's the thing: it sounds dumb. I understand that, and I think a lot of people feel the same way I do. I would rather spend eighteen dollars once a month than a hundred fifty nine dollars at once once a year. Because here's feel, the thing: it depends on how I you pay pennies. it. 
I pay it and it's awesome. It was the, a great decision. But the day I pay it, I feel like shit until my max paycheck comes through. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a story and it'll make me sound like an idiot. But my last paycheck, right at the beginning, I spent $100 on Marvel Snap because I really wanted credits. I really wanted to be able to upgrade my cards and I wanted the variants. And until I got my next paycheck, I felt like a fucking asshole. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I, I mean... got my paycheck and I was like, I'm good. So I think a lot of people are the same way where they're like, $18 just feels better today. <laughs> yeah. I, I get both sides because the $18 feel better today, but by the end of the year, you feel like you paid so much more. I'm the kind of guy that I want to pinch the pennies and see the hit while seeing the rest of the year go off without me having to have that hit again. I don't know. It's kind of like the, would you rather like, would you rather have one big whooping that hurts, but then you're done? Or would you rather get 10 whoopings across, you know, 12 whoopings across the whole year? Once a month, you're going to get a pretty, you're still going to get a pretty good whooping. Five slaps <laughs> for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's the how I met your mother, how many slaps Slap do you want? Bit. No, I, yeah. I get it. it like the uh, it's better, but again, <clears throat> it just feels it feels better. It's the same thing like when I was telling you, like I gotta just buy a bunch of games now and stop. Because Alan Wake, by the time I get to it, it'd probably be like 40 bucks. But I need to buy it now because then I can just take my card off PSN, not touch my shit. But if I yeah. have it there because I'm going to buy it later, I'm going to keep fucking buying little shit. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll play fucking Xenomon. Dude, I downloaded that shit, played it for 10 minutes. I was like, this is a cool Pokemon. Like, I haven't fucking touched that shit again. I'm never going to touch it again because Baldur's Gate 3 is out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Hey, I get it, man. Let's hope something <clears throat> comes out of this. Well, we have a question that I think is very much in line with this. And this is important because I, as I was reading it, I thought, Wow, this is actually pretty accurate for me. So Jehudi, MD, one of our patrons, he says, uh, as Brett and Chris and maybe others who play games on a consistent basis, do you think services like PS Plus are not worth it anymore? Since subscribing, I have not played a single game from them for two main reasons. The first reason, I want to own the game since I'll be putting time into it and want to make sure it's there when the time comes to play it. Two, and this is a little different because this is not maybe talking about the essential games, but more the extra games, which are only yours while they're on the service. They're, and once they rotate off, you can't play them anymore. Uh, good context. Anyway, he says, the second reason when a major game releases on PS Plus, it's either I have already played it or it's something I was not interested in at all to begin with. I know the benefits of these services from a value perspective, but I want to know your personal opinion in terms of being a much more involved gamer than your average person. So, Chris, removing ourselves back a little bit and looking at the service and thinking about the way you use it, how do you actually feel about whether or not it's actually worth it to you? Um... The answer to the question is it's not worth it to me. But I don't buy it to make up my value. You know, like I'm not one of these people who's like, I paid $159 a year for PS Plus Premium. I better get $159 at least of worth in terms of games I played. I'm not like that. I have PS Plus Essential. Because something like Saints Row, 
where I'm like, I want to try it. I want to know, but I'm not spending the money or something like sea of stars. Where I'm like, this looks fantastic. I'm super excited. And I just got it for free. So you do know? you have, do you have essential or do you have extra? I have premium. Okay. I thought, but you said, I get what you mean. You're saying each individual, like the reason why you'd get each tier. I got you. Go ahead. Yeah. For me, it's, I have premium <clears throat> because in case there's something there, I have access, sure. you know, I'm the type of person and a lot of this is laziness, but I have most of the streaming services and it's stupid because I've never watched Hulu and I think I've paid for it for like three years. <laughs> Man, that's pretty bad. But here's the thing. It's the same thing I was saying. It's, it's like 10 bucks. And then I, I, every time I get charged, I'm like, that's annoying. I need to cancel. And then I forget because it's 10 bucks. Yeah. And that's a very privileged thing I get to say, but it really is just that. And then look, the one time there was something I wanted to watch, I watched The Patient. That was cool. It was on Hulu. I got to see it, and I didn't have to pay for something that day. I still haven't canceled Peacock. <laughs> and it's a yeah, lot of I'm actually being... glad because I'm getting to watch The Office, and I'm just like, one of these days, Chris will cancel this. No, I won't. Twisted Most Metal was likely. awesome. <laughs> Twisted Metal was awesome. So I'm a person who has things because if I want them – it's accessible. And I'm not someone who's like, I want to own Sea of Stars. If Sea of Stars comes off the service and I find it on sale, I might buy it. But I'm not going to be like, oh, I need to have Sea of Stars here. You know? Yes. So that's the way I am. I, I think my answer to this is similar to yours in the fact that up until recently, like I've always ended up getting some benefit from PS Plus throughout years, but I've had a form of PS Plus since the service came out. At first, I just really thought automatic updating, automatic cloud saves and all that was worth it. And then the games were just like, wow, okay, this is a really cool extra. Great. And then when the games kind of took center stage and became the main thing, and everything else was kind of the backup, I was still like, cool. And I've gotten a lot of good value out of that, getting games like Rocket League, getting games like Stray. Um, if I ever get around to see if Stars, if it doesn't move off, being able to play that. Um, I won't own it. That's a very good point. But I think the way I view it is kind of like Chris. I think that these services worth is heavily based on where you are on a spectrum. And I think my end of the spectrum and to some degree Chris's is that I would rather spend the money and I pay yearly, but you know, to the, whatever end, I'd rather pay the money so that it's there so that if a game or an aspect of the service hits that I want to take advantage of, I can. So to that end, I recently played through Twisted Metal 1 and 2. I've recently downloaded Silent, um, um, not Silent, <laughs> I recently downloaded uh, Siphon Filter, uh, both of the PSP ones, so Dark, Fil uh, Dark Mirror and Logan Shadow, and I've downloaded Killzone Liberation, all games I intend on playing soon because, cool, like, yeah, I could buy them and it would probably be cheaper or maybe even the same cost. But I'd rather have the ability to access it and then have a game hit that I like than have to worry about it. But the reality of it is that for the most part, nothing hits the service that's strong enough to make me want to go play it because I've already played it or I didn't interest it in the beginning, like you said. So the flip side of that 
is I think the people that this service is most valuable to are the people who do not have the type of money that we have to buy it just because you have it in case something does hit. I think it's people who actually go, I only have so much money to gain per year. And the easiest way for me to get the biggest bang for my buck is to get a service, maybe buy the one or two games that I feel I need to play day one that my budget will allow. And then every other game I can play is just when they eventually hit one of these services and you get to go, okay, cool. Now I can play a day one game like Stray, but if not, then cool. Now I can play whatever game is. This goes to show you how much I don't know about what's on Extra. I don't even know what's there. But the point being is that for any given person who only has so much gaming dollars, that's a good solution for them. So, And that's great for Sony because they're getting it either way. For the people who buy it because they need the ability to play a lot of games for a budgeted amount of money, bam, you got them. That's a customer. And for the people who probably buy most of the games they play anyway but want the backup just in case something hits and they're curious like Chris and Saints Row, you get to go, cool, I got them too. Yeah. Like I said, so. like I've said about services, my kids will be game game pass kids, and I will have to eventually have a third shelf for all my games. <laughs> Fuck them kids! <laughs> and I have to, dude. I have, I bought this damn dark magician statue, which is beautiful, and I love it, and I got it at a great price. And the entire time since it's gotten out of the box, I immediately started. I was talking to Velvet about this. I don't know where the fuck the Venom statue from Spider-Man 2 is going to go. <laughs> I have no shelf. I This has been sitting on my table, not for any other reason than I have nowhere to put it. I just don't know what to do with it. See, I don't even have the room for it. And so I have to ask myself, I have to buy a cabinet. I have to buy a shelf. I have to buy something. Mm-hmm. And damn, what a feeling that is. Yeah. It's, like, it's such a first world problem. I was joking with uh, Sadie today because I don't play games in front of her, really. Um, I think the last time I did it was that when I was beating The Witcher 3 and I was like, I'm sorry, I need to finish this. (laughs) So for like two hours, she sat there and watched it, but I don't. And I was like, I'm saving it because there's going to be a room if we live together that's entirely for my video games. And there are going to be days where you're like, he hasn't stood. <laughs> and you're going to have to deal with it then. So for now, I'll be courteous. <laughs> there you go. Gentleman Chris. What, what can I say? Tip of the fedora, right? I don't need her to see the like shirt halfway up my belly with like mm-hmm. a soda balanced in the fat cup that's right there. But you, but you hope she embraces that, it, right? Yeah. Like she just comes in with a plate of tender tendies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little kiss on the forehead and then fucks yeah. off because I'm in the middle of a cutscene. Get out of the way. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We That's have another fun. question, Brett? It is fun. We I do try. have another question. So this one comes from Matthew Green, one of our patrons. He says, have you had any game relating, uh, gaming-related injuries? Tendons in hand hurt from playing Final Fantasy 16, button bashing square. So now playing Sniper Elite 5 as it's slower paced. Could be an age thing, I suppose. So, Chris, have you had an injury from your gaming? Um, I mean, <clears throat> I've gotten Carpal Tunnel a couple times. Um, COVID, I had it really bad because I didn't do anything but play video games because I was locked down for Yeah, I remember. 
three, four and months. And I had to go back to work and you were just like, what have you been doing? I've been playing this for 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got the Skyrim Platinum in a week, if that tells you anything. And it was a long Platinum. That was like 100 hours. But um, It took so. you 100 hours? Yeah, because I didn't know about the leveling trick. So I had to spend a lot of time just using illumination spells. Wow. I got the Platinum in 40 hours. Yeah. It's, it was annoying. Especially all those thieving quests. Fuck that shit. Dude, um, that's that's the most variable one. That could that could add ten hours to your playthrough, or it could happen instantly. It's, yeah. Ugh. I mean, I didn't rush it. I just had fun playing. Um, yeah, it's a great game. Yeah, very fun. But the only true injury I've ever gotten is playing Bloodborne. Um, defiled amygdala. Did you have an aneurysm? <laughs> Close. I, um, I when I was younger, when Bloodborne came out, I was just in a very small bedroom, so I was sitting on the floor, and I had a nightstand here, and I had a little little knobs for the uh, to pull the drawer out, and I think I lost my like fortieth, fiftieth run at Amygdala, and I, I punched the thing, I hit the knob and broke my knuckle. I punched uh, our steel door um, on the, okay, (laughs) it's not even a boss. That's what made it worse. (laughs) And I've I've since solved this problem, but we talked about not long ago. You know the elevator that you can jump out of and roll to get to the last big blood chunk that you use to upgrade your weapon? Yep. I could not get through that section without getting frenzied to death. And after like my 15th, 20th run, I, I stood up and punched the shit out of our metal front door that was already bad and needed to be replaced. And I knew that. So like I had to channel my anger towards something. And I was like, metal door, worst case scenario, it hurts me. I don't hurt anything else. <laughs> and I punched the shit out of it and bruised my knuckle really bad. Yeah. Uh, but I did not break. I did not break anything. I think my only... Uh, my real injury, as it were, for that uh, carpal tunnel, I was playing back in 2013 when Diablo 3 came out. Um, I was still working at the hospital and I worked overnight shifts. So since me and my friend both were off in the times where you could just play into the middle of the night for no reason for my times I wasn't working, we would play like 10 to 12 hour sessions of Diablo 3 on PC. And that game on PC is entirely point and click. Everything about it is. And the reason I refuse to play Diablo 4 on PC, Diablo 3 on PC ever again, um, Diablo 3 on PC for sure, because it never, even though there was controller support for the game, because of the console version, they never put it into the PC version, those bastards. Uh, (laughs) I refuse to play that game. My wrist hurt for months after and I have never had a true carpal tunnel spell since. I've had games like recently, like Forspoken, where I can feel that part of like that tendon getting tired. And I'm like, okay, I need to take a break. But I haven't had any long term. And yeah, that was a bitch. I hated it. And I have long since people are like, you want to play Diablo? What are we playing on? PC? Not happening. I will not <laughs> play Baldur's Gate 3 on PC. Not happening. That's oh, so much better. And uh, I know that that's not even nearly as click intensive as a game like Baldur. I mean, like a game like Diablo Three is, but it's just it's not happening. Not happening at all. I respect the commitment to that. I've been metaphorically burned, Chris. <laughs> I, dude, I miss the PC version. That's my well, biggest you know, complaint. 
I can understand why to some degree, you know, having to radio menu to jump every single time I want to jump consecutively kind of fucking sucks. I kind of wish there was a quick menu. I don't really understand why there's not a quick menu that you can hold just for like four actions, eight actions. Fucking, I don't care (laughs) anything. Um, so you want a radio menu to make the radio menus easier to navigate? <laughs> no, it's just one that instead of having to pull up one that's got like 12 options Everything. on it and then you keep scooching over, it would just be, yeah. Honestly, not even a radio menu, just a hold R1 and then the four face buttons or four things. I'd be perfectly fine with that. If I could R1 X and that would automatically do jump and I could just aim and jump, I'd be happy. I, I don't hate that. But, you know. That's not how it worked out. Good question, though, and good luck on your uh, on your. It sounds like you got carpal tunnel, so good luck on the carpal tunnel. But keep playing something a little slower and, and lower paced. Uh, but it goes to show that you could even get those uh, carpal tunnel even on controller. Thankfully, I haven't yet. <laughs> uh, we got one more question before we go into the sexiest part of the show, and it's from Pork Chops. He says, with more and more great games and all genres releasing more frequently now, I've always found myself trying to get into the JRPG genre, but to no avail. I honestly have no idea why either. My question for y'all, what is one genre of game that you've always wanted to play, but can never seem to actually find a game in said genre to fulfill the desire? And Chris... I kind of want to hear what you have to say on the start of this because part of me thinks it might be platformers. Um, I don't want to get into platformers. So I think that's why I would say no. Although I see where you're coming from because I don't play a lot of platformers well there's been a lot of them where you start them and you're like yeah that looks like it might be cool and then you're and then you just don't (laughs) yeah like i've tried there's been a couple i've tried crash i liked crash 4 until i didn't um is great yep but in terms of something i'm dying to get into and i just can't it's jrpgs i can't play them it's I've so tried. funny too because one of your top games of all time is a JRPG, but it's, it's the, the only it's one. The the JRPG. <laughs> and I cannot get into a single other one. I've tried almost every Final Fantasy readily available to me. I have tried Trails, and I like Trails, but it's long. I have tried Tales. I have tried Disgaea. I have tried the other personas. And I've finished, I've gotten halfway through four and I've beaten five Royal and that is it. But I am desperate to like those games and I don't know why. It almost feels like I have to. (laughs) Why? Why does that feel so strong? Do you want to know honestly why I think of it? And it's a little parasocial. I've been listening. Everyone who listens to this knows, and I'm sure if you listen to both podcasts, sometimes you hear me take some of what Colin says because I've been listening to him since I was like 15 years old and he has talked throughout my entire life about the (laughs) JRPGs he's loved. And I was so the reason I was excited for the pistol remax pixel remasters and final fantasy six is because he taught, he's talked about that game for my whole life. Listening to the six is goaded. I can't play it. It's not fun to me. I don't like it and I want to. And I think it's that little bit of like people like that, not even him, you know, 
Greg Miller, like even the fucking cheap ass gamer guys who I used to listen to, like the, they've all influenced and they all liked JRPGs. And I have begged myself to like it. I forced myself through half of Tales of uh, Arise. And I, I just can't do the genre except for Persona. And again, I don't think I would have beaten Persona if it was not for COVID. That's because I enough, sat man. for 120 hours doing nothing but staring at that screen playing Persona. It was an awesome experience, but I haven't been able to do it for anything else. This one's a hard one because I don't think that there's a genre that I, I don't like any game in, which is kind of true for you, right? Because like JRPGs, you still have Persona 5. Like I you do. have a single game that clicks with you. <laughs> Holding on um, with like one index finger. Like I do yeah, like, like one. <laughs> but you, you at least have something, right? And I'd yeah. say... Up until recently, I would say that that was what visual novels were for me because on paper, I feel like I should love visual novels. And I've played games that are visual novel adjacent and really enjoyed them. And then it comes time to play visual novels, and I always fall off of them. Velvet, I remember whenever I first talked about starting Danganronpa, and I had this moment where I was like, cool, I'm actually, I'm enjoying this. Great. And I never picked it back up. Like, it's just like it didn't click with me. And I mm-hmm. I didn't keep continuing playing it. And I'm sure he noticed that. And so every time that I want to play one, I'm like, okay, cool. And for a long time, I thought I'd just fall out of them. I fall out of them and fall. And then Doki Doki Literature Club came out. And by yep. all intents and purposes, that is a visual novel game. Yeah, very much so. And I became addicted. And it was all I wanted to do. And it's all I played. Um and so that became a thing where I was like, okay, so it can be done. There is a there is a good enough game in any given genre that can click with somebody. It's just the hard thing of figuring out what game that is and then clicking and then hoping that that means that that genre broadens to you and you start liking more of them because you you have clicked with them. I'd say this. I haven't tried enough visual novels after Doki Doki in order to say that I'm now a fan of them. So it's probably still the genre I'm going to most say. Uh, MMO might be the only other one. But that feels kind of wrong because like I've loved Destiny 2 at times and I think that there's no way you can consider Destiny and Destiny 2 to not be MMOs. I've said that since day one, even when Activision refused to let Bungie call them that. Uh, and I do love like old school RuneScape. Speaking of which, that's like my pedestal MMO. <laughs> um, <laughs> everyone else is probably like, why the fuck? But I, I love that game. Uh, and then my other pedestal MMO, if nothing else, that's a little more traditional. is like a weird ass game um, called Silk Road Online that most people have never even heard of that I, I adore. Um so it's funny. I mean, like, you know, there's a few genres I just don't get a whole bunch of. But, I mean, most genres, I think, are fun. And most games, most genres have at least a game in them that makes you go, okay, I get it now. Yeah. So, good question, though. I, I think there was a time in my life where there was more games like that than there are now. Um, thankfully, I've broadened my horizons a lot. Still have problems with turn-based games, but they're not entire. Like I loved them as a kid, and it's like so, I don't know what happened, but it's like my ability to care has moved off. But I've had a surprisingly good time with Baldur's Gate 3's flavor of turn-based. I, are it you feels gonna, are more you like play any of that on your own. Well, right now, no, because I just I don't have enough time. 
Yeah. That's it's, it's strictly where I'm at. And so I'm trying to save every bit of me playing that game to be with you guys. But depending on how we continue to feel about it, because right now I'm enjoying it, uh, which is in part because of the game and in part because of the group. Because I'm actually going to say, I think playing Baldur's Gate 3 as a party is actively harder. And I don't mean no. difficulty. I don't, I don't mean difficulty. Okay. I mean in being able to enjoy the story. Because half the time we're starting conversations and I, I know why the game doesn't do it. But the fact that I miss at least half of every conversation because I have to choose to actively listen to it is kind of bullshit. I just kind of wish that your characters and the NPCs would speak and it, I wouldn't get the cutscene camera, but I could still hear everything because it bothers the shit out of me that if I just don't know where the fuck you are and can't find you quick enough or if I don't go to the menu and hit listen, I miss chunks of dialogue. I get that. Like it bothers the shit out of me. And I, I get why they chose that route, but it, it means playing the game to enjoy the story for what it actually is is, is significantly harder. So I feel like most of the fun we're going to have is stories that of us doing dumb shit together, like trying to beat up the tiefling kids in their hot out. <laughs> Facts. That was so, fun. Part of me wants to play it to actually see the story through uninterrupted. Yeah. But we'll see. But why do you ask? Because I'm curious if if you your like of it is because you're playing with us or if you're going to actively if you play it on your own you actively enjoy playing it. I I see a version of myself actively enjoying playing it by myself. Cool. But when I will act on that is hard to say at the moment. Cuz I'd I'd rather play with as the group because it is fun no. in its own very specific way <laughs> very specific way well i mean it is i think that playing that game as a group is inherently different from playing that game single player i no, i completely agree i just think the way you said it was funny <laughs> all right so i think chris are you ready to go into the sexiest part of the show yeah buddy put baby in a corner i will you know what i'll put baby in a corner you know how how with <laughs> Uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, Let me play it one more time uninterrupted. Uh, so that you can add a little bit more. You ready? <laughs> All right. So I don't know what happened, but when I first tried to click the button to let it play, my, my computer just went boom. <laughs> like it didn't know what the fuck to find. That was just funny. Uh, Velvet comes this week and he says, Let's give PlayStation characters Pokemon partners. Who would be the perfect partners for Kratos, Nathan Drake, Aloy, Cole McGrath, and Jin Sakai? Okay. Also, who would be the best trainer among them? All right. So I think I've landed. I've been really thinking about Cole because it's clearly going to be an electric Pokemon. They're going to be like Simpatico in that regard, right? Okay. And at first, my thought process was like Toxicroak, who's poison and electric. But I kind of feel like Cole's pretty nimble and he's really acrobatic. And so I kind of feel like I need to get him something that's quicker, that's electric. Okay. Okay. So what are you thinking? So Cole, we're looking for a quicker electric Pokemon. How about Jolteon? Jolteon's not a bad option. I mean, that'd be a pretty nimble bird to run around. I mean, Raikou could also work. Um, 
I'm trying to I'm trying to think of one that would fit his style all at the same time. Uh, Luxray may not be an awful choice. That kind of brooding, dark, electric. <laughs> what about Zapdos? A bird? I was thinking like maybe something that could just fly around around him. That actually might be kind of cool. Zapdos Cole is a big motherfucker, fly. though. Zapdos can fly. Emolga. Well, hold on. I this don't is think a, that, that fits him. This but. is a partner, though. So this is a partner. They're going to work. Oh, so a water Pokemon may not be a bad idea, but he can never cuddle his water Pokemon. That would be sad. What about a golem? (laughs) A what? A golem, the big guy with the the circle with the rocks, because then he can cuddle his golem. I mean, yes, but is that going to help him? Could. I mean, how how is it as a partner? How is it going to help him? Because like his ability to soak someone in water and then electrocute them would be like fucking next to that'd be ideal, right? Yeah. But it's also his ability to just channel electricity with something else and just like super shock someone. Also cool. Yeah, I guess I was thinking like Snorlax would kind of fill the Zeke void. Oh, okay. Because this is in the afterlife. <laughs> so Duskull. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there you go. Drifloon. He just floats away. <laughs> I'm it's, not awful. it's not awful. It's not awful. Um Oh, I forgot about this dude. I feel like he might fit the bill. He's a okay. newer Pokemon. He's Gen, what, 7? Uh, Zeraora. I don't actually know how to pronounce his name because, you know, they don't ever say any of the goddamn names in the game. Uh, <laughs> but look up Z-E-R-A-O-R-A. Um, I think he came in in uh, Sword and Shield. Didn't that Gen 7? Or was that... Was that okay, I, I see it. I like that for him. Zeora. That feels right. It feels kind of like you can see how it'd be nimble and run around with him. And then, I like, do. when they fist bump, it'd be like, like, you'd see little sparks come. That'd be cool. Okay. Okay. And he has fists. So, I mean, like, this seems cool. I like it. That's actually pretty dope. Okay. Okay. So, we've got that one knocked out. So, let's keep going. We've got to figure out Kratos. Now, unfortunately, there's not really a Pokemon that is based off of Greek anything. I don't really know why. That's just kind of where we are. But... Greeks were known for riding horses and putting armor on their horses. So part of me wants to say that Kratos would ride, what's that Clydesdale Pokemon? Uh, its name might even, Mudsdale. <laughs> Big hooved motherfucker. Okay. Hear me out, though. I, I will hear you out. What's that? Um, I lost it. Oh, Scyther. Okay. I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling you. Got the Arm blades. blades. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I think Scyther. Scyther's a cool one. So yeah. I'm trying to think of which ones like would Kratos ever see fit to evolve Scyther into a Scizor? You know what I mean? Scizor, whatever you say. I could see it, him being into it for oh, sure. Oh. Do you remember? Okay, so um Legends Arceus had a version of Scyther, basically, that was like an ancient Pokemon. Um, 
And I think it may even be a better version of, uh, I, I wish I could remember its name right now. Uh, that game's great. Um, Cleavor, that's his name. Look up Cleavor, and he's like an ancient scyther, but he's like rock, and he's got like big stone, uh, like axe hands. Then you're going even more into it, right? Okay. I'm still going Scyther, but that's that's my I mean, opinion. I like Scyther too, but I mean I think they both fit, but something about he looks like he's wearing like ancient Greece armor almost. Like he's like wearing some ancient armor for battle. I can see. He looks he looks more time specific than Scyther that's, does. That's fair. But how about we just say this? Because Cleavor is just an evolution of Scyther, so in some form, Scyther. <laughs> yeah, that works for me. There we go. I'm I'm willing to give you that one. All right, so now we go into Nathan Drake. I've been trying to think about this a lot. I here's like, would it be someone who would like play against him, like play off of him, or would it be someone who like acts like him? Like, would it be a Pokemon that's got like a little bit of sass to him? You know what I'm saying? Mm. I. What are you thinking down in that uh, in that big brain of yours, Chris? I'm feeling like. <sighs> Sorry, I think my headphone cut out. What's up? I feel like Nathan Drake is like an electric guy, or even a meowth guy. Oh, a meowth guy. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I kind of get where you're coming from. Ooh. Um, but you know he's like a big soft. No, he's a pop. I'm with you on that. Because he's I like climbing. That. That's him. Yeah, easy. I like that. A pop. Yeah. And that's the final evolution of that, right? No, no. Uh, it's what? What is his evolution? It's an a pop with a bigger hand, if I remember correctly. Or is a pop the final? I don't think it is. It's not. Oh, there's a two hands. It's ampa bomb. There you go. And then there's one with even more hands <laughs> for tails. <laughs> I think it may just be Mega Ampabomb. That's a good one, though. I like that one. All right. Thank you. All right. So let's keep going. We got a couple more here. We got Aloy, Fire Redhead. Uh, you know, she gets mounts. But I guess it wouldn't make sense to be able to ride Rapidash. But Rapidash just feels right in my head. Suicune. Suicune, really? Yeah. Have I ever told you that Saul stole this on the podcast before? When he was a kid, he thought, because again, no one knows how to pronounce Pokemon names until you finally hear them. Uh, he thought Wasn't it was pronounced Suicune or something? Suicune. Suicune. <laughs> That's brutal. I completely get it because he was like, I thought it was like suicide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, it, to be fair, it is sound that way. It sounded out like that, or it looks like it. Um, Okay, so why are you thinking that? Because if we're going to go that route, it. if that route, dude, Entei. Well, I feel like Entei, you run into the same problem as Rapidash, where he's probably pretty hot. Well, he's At not on Suikun. fire the, across the board, though. He's just, he is the one of fire, but he's not actually actively on fire. And I think lore-wise, did you never see Pokemon uh, 3, the I movie with Entei, remember. where it's got the Unown in there? Because a little remember. girl rides on him. There you go. I like Suicune because I prefer I mean, him. But Suicune's a sick design. I mean, Raikou's also, pretty good. 
that very pretty teal and blue with the kind of purpley mane would look really good against Aloy. That's probably actually a good good point. Yeah, we'll just go. I think we go with Suicune. I think it looks. It also looks the closest to one of those rideable dinosaurs too. Fair enough. The big crystal on its head, almost looking like a big armor plate or something. Exactly. I'll give it to you, Chris. Even though oh, I'm thanks. pretty sure if we wanted to give her, I'm pretty sure there's a robot dinosaur. Um, I'm gonna look it up real quick because I can't remember the name of it. I'm thinking and, of a mecha Pokemon. Well, I mean, you could do like Palkia or Dialga in a weird way. You could consider that to be it. Uh, but what I was actually talking about is, um, was it Darulodon that transforms into like he looks like a big skyscraper? Maybe his maybe it's Darulodon, one of his. Uh, he looks like a skyscraper, but he's like he kind of just looks like a tech thing. I guess there really isn't a tech Pokemon. I was trying to think that through, but tech dinosaur Pokemon would definitely be the the way to go if there was one that existed. I mean, eh, I guess it's it's just not easy to land on. The closest I could think of is Mirrodon from the, the new one, the purple one from the future, the Scarlet and Violet, the one for Violet that's like the motorcycle, but it has the jetpacks on it. That feels the most like a techie Pokemon. <laughs> okay. And she could ride it. It is a mount. All right, then give that to her. I'm fine with that. We're, we'll go that route. Even though Suicune was still a good answer, but I just think there's a slightly better one. There we are. All right. Last one here. Jinsekai. I think so this I feel one like there's is a, so easy. Now, why is that? Because there's a perfect Pokemon for him. Yeah, what is that? Zatu. The bird? Yes. So why do you think that's perfect? Because Jinsekai is very stoic. Zatu is very stoic. I mean, Both very chill, very contemplative. Zatu can okay. probably write a haiku. You think so? I think he could. I'm pretty sure it's based off of like, um, you know, Central America. So like Mexican American. Um, you know what I mean? Like Central America, not yeah. U.S. American, but like Central American culture. <laughs> based on Ohio. <laughs> you know, Ohio culture. I mean, it could be because, I mean, there's clearly a lot of uh, similarities between Native American history and uh, more like Mesoamerican history. I guess yeah. is what you'd call that. Um, I don't hate it. But I, I don't want to go as obvious as something or obvious, but also not right as like Hitmonlee or Hitmonchan or something dumb like that. Like, I got to find the guy's name. Give okay. I'll give you, I'll give you time to figure that out. Now I'm curious as to what the hell you're talking about. I mean, there's uh what, what's the Pokemon that's got the by uh, what is his name? It's going to kill me that I can't think it through. King Gambit? Isn't that his thing? Wait. Dooblade. Dooblade. Do, do, well, oh, Dooblade did the sword. Yeah. I actually did think about Own Edge, which is his final. Um, the one I was originally thinking about is this red one. It's like Ponyard or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think maybe the, his actual name. The arms or whatever. Yeah, and he's got like blades, but I actually think a better fit, weirdly enough, also because I just think he'd look cool in samurai clothes. Okay. Lucario. Oh, okay. 
And do you remember? <laughs> I don't think you got far enough. You probably don't. In Ghost of Tsushima, there is a Sly Cooper armor set that is colored an awful lot like Lucario just by nature of how it works out. I'm just saying. I think that I, could look cool. I did not see, see that, but I'm good with Hold the on. idea. I'm going to look this up real quick. Samurai Lucario. I guarantee you there's been an art of this. Bro, this is sick. Hold on. Okay, I got to send this to you. Okay. I, I just I had already sold myself on it in theory, and then just being able to sell you on it in, uh, in reality. Yeah. Prepare to be uh, prepare to get the you it's the answer. Give it to me, Daddy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The offspring were great live. <laughs> yeah, we're good. We're done. It's Lucario. You're right. That looks sick, doesn't it? That's sick, yeah. Now I kind of hope that they do a samurai they do another Pokemon Arceus Legends game or whatever Legends game and they have like, an old school Lucario. Dude, it's Detective cool. Pikachu, except it's Samurai Lucario. Why not? <laughs> I'm I'm here for that movie. Uh, everything is possible. Okay, so we've got our team set up. Who'd be the best trainer? I feel like the answer would probably be Kratos because he's like a military. Excuse me, he's like a military leader. So he knows how yeah. to train and then like delegate. No, I actually don't think Kratos. Oh, do you think his anger would ruin him? He'd get the, he'd get the best of him. Yeah, you've played. Pokemon uh, Crystal. You know what happens to the, Kratos is is the guy with red hair. I mean, okay, yeah, he's your rival. Yeah, yeah, that's Kratos. So, I think he would be the worst. Actually, I feel like Nate would be way too friendly and just wouldn't be able to like. Though also, Nate has killed probably just as many people as Kratos <laughs> at this point, um, but. I feel like taking it and looking at that, like Nate would just be having fun with it and he wouldn't even care if he lost or won. So he wouldn't be a great trainer because he's just like, he'd be a good person and a good trainer to his Pokemon, but he wouldn't be like an effective trainer. Yeah. I feel like Nate trains Pokemon to have friends around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah like like he's just hanging him. out with them. Yeah. yeah. Like those are just pets to him. He's like, there goes my dog. There goes my, <laughs> my other thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. For me, the answer is Jin. Aloy, I, I could see Jin. I was going to say Aloy is so used to being a loner for the most part. Even though she is, you know, in, in her game, she ends up having people help her. She has this thing where she likes being alone. So for some reason, I feel like that would make her not as effective as, you know, of, of a trainer, though maybe that makes her meticulous if she doesn't look at it with being something or being with somebody. And Cole is great, and I love him, but that leadership doesn't seem his strong suit either. That's so fair. Jen, Jen's a good option. I feel like I, Jen or Kratos, but I'm kind of with <laughs> you on your reasoning for Kratos, even yeah, though Ragnarok was trying to say that that's, you know. Yeah, I'm going Jen, personally. <laughs> I'll stick with Jen. Jen will be the best trainer. I almost wanted to give Jen a horse. I feel like that felt also useful, but... I feel very good about Lucario. Definitely now I looked up Samurai Lucario, but a horse would have also been a good one. Samurai Lucario is what ties it together because if without that, I'd be a strong no on Lucario. <laughs> so you were ready for it to be a strong no until I proved it. Yes. Yep. All right. I have one more for the fun of it. Okay. Who would be Arthur Morgan's Pokemon? 
Is that where we get a horse in here? Is that where we get Mudsdale? Is it just milk tank? No. <laughs> I feel like a horse makes sense just so he can good boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with I'm good with that. That's a good boy. I am. I am pretty good with that. All right. Flip side. Okay. <laughs> Who's Dutch's Pokemon? And why is it Meowth? <laughs> Hypno or Drowsy. Okay, maybe. Because he hypnotizes maybe. the people into thinking he's got a, he's got a plan, Arthur. But he does not have a plan. <laughs> Damn it, Arthur. Damn it. Um, you gotta do the the crack voice thing. <laughs> Damn it, Arthur. No. Yeah. Man, that is my, a good why, game. Is, why is my Dutch a better Jerry Seinfeld than it is a Dutch? That, yeah, that yeah. Oh, What's the deal? <laughs> with Arthur, all this subway food. I've got a plan. <laughs> oh no, don't pick up the don't pick off the soup guy. Come on. Oh, all right, Chris, are you ready to close out the sexiest section of the show? Yes. Let's do it. I'm going to come. Well, you bitches got a long one today. So without further ado, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support the show with more than just your time, head over to patreon.com slash Nartech. Consider giving as little as a dollar per month to help support the show directly. We are ever so thankful for those of you who do. But if you can't, we're so thankful that you've listened to this point and that you give us your time each week. We love you guys. Uh, so without further ado, one of the things that we do to support our patrons back as we give them a shout out for all the love that they provide to us at the end of episodes. So shout out to Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Easton 328, Aztec King, Lee Chion 69, The Lord Corgi, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week.